Ten ought to do it, don't you think? You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. Ocean's Eleven is next. Lights, marker, action. I'll start off the bat and say that this is my favorite movie of all time. After watching it last night, I think that it still might be. We'll talk about it. Uh, we have a special guest today, Aaron Martin. Welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm <laughs> super excited. Honor, schmoner, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Thanks We're excited for, to thanks, be here. Thanks, man. We'll pay you by a check later. I got you. Um, <clears throat> so, Ocean's Eleven. Um, wow. There's so much that we want to talk about this film, but... Uh, let's go ahead and start with story time with Andy. Uh, he's got some news for us from Hollywood. That's a great idea. What do you got, Andy? Okay, so we're doing Ocean's Eleven today. And, I, you know, honestly, it was kind of surprising to see in the news this past week that they are planning an Ocean's Eleven remake. Um, they're rebooting the franchise, but based on the film from the 60s, oh, uh, no. not the George Clooney version. Uh, it's starring Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, and it starts filming in March. It's set in Europe in the 1960s, and it's reportedly part of a new Warner Brothers strategy to focus on big-budget, star-studded releases, which I'm okay with. I like big-budget, star-studded movies. Mm, so do I. I just don't like the idea that this is a reboot. I thought it was a prequel. I thought they were keeping, like, the whole 11, 12, 13... No. No. Totally no? different. And honestly, I think I think that's the way to go. Really, really is is to try to leave this series where it's at, leave it alone. You know what I mean? Instead of trying to piggyback off of its success and try to make something else. So the fact that they're remaking it based off the original, it's almost like I don't know. It's their chance to introduce some fresh ideas that mm. may work. It may work. It could. I won't hate on it yet, but that's disappointing initially. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll get over it. No other people rumored to be casted in it yet besides them two? Only the only two that have been revealed are Gosling and Margot Robbie. It's a good way to start. Have they worked together in a film before? I can't remember. Barbie. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. that's right. Yes, which we're all super excited for. Uh, I want to cover that on the podcast after it comes out. <laughs> You'll be doing that alone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for the story time, Andy. Uh, let's get to the no cap recap which is basically going to be like a five minute movie recap so spoilers incoming here we go danny ocean is a career white collar criminal who upon being released from prison after a four-year stint begins assembling a crew of criminals to pull off a last big heist before he rides off into the sunset he wants to rob the bellagio casino on the night where they will have approximately 160 million dollars in cash in the vault he is aided foremost by Rusty, an old trusted friend and his right-hand man, and together they recruit a merry team of lifelong criminals with specific expertises needed to execute the plan. It is revealed that the impenetrable vault of the Bellagio belongs to Terry Benedict, a Las Vegas casino magnet. But to the shock and awe of Rusty and the crew, Terry Benedict is in a romantic relationship with Tess, Danny's ex-wife. So is the heist about the money or sticking it to the guy sticking it to his ex. Hijinks ensue as the team spends two weeks putting together an elaborate plan to steal the money right out from under Terry Benedict's nose. But the plan does not go off without a hitch, or so it would appear. Danny is red flagged and taken out of play just as the heist is about to begin. 
We soon discover that this is all part of an elaborate ruse designed to deflect attention away from Danny as the mastermind of the theft. The audience is then let in on the surprising reveal of how the cons pulled off the heist in a series of flashbacks. We're also rewarded for those fans who love a good love story as Tess decides to leave Terry to be with Danny again. Being the spiteful person that he is, Terry has Danny arrested for parole violations for leaving the state of New Jersey, and Danny lands back in prison. Fast forward a few months to the day Danny is once again released from prison. There waiting for him are his best friend Rusty and his love Tess. Only to reveal that they are not alone as Terry Benedict's security team is following closely behind because Terry knows that Danny took the money. And that is how the movie ends. Okay. There you go. If you haven't seen the movie, we just ruined it for you. <laughs> but at least, at yeah, least we gave you fair warning, right? You can follow us, yeah, in the podcast. But yeah. I mean, it's been out for 21 years. Why do we love or not love this movie? Does, any, does anyone here not love this movie? I don't think so. I, I wouldn't have invited you if, yeah, if that was I the case. <laughs> we all love it. and yeah. Let, Let's start with our guest here. Aaron, why do you love this movie? <clears throat> to start, I mean, the cast is just star-studded. And the way they work together is its seamless. The way you can tell they have camaraderie mm-hmm. yeah. in real life. And it's just the way it's they perform is outstanding. Yeah, I have a note about that actually about the camaraderie. Yeah, that that was planned for actually. Yeah. Um. So Brian, what about you? Why yeah. do you love this movie? <clears throat> I I think it's for the same reasons that Aaron said. Honest, when, what I wrote down in my notes is that this movie is lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Because so many things had to come together and be just right to make this, and honestly, it all works out in the end. I mean, the the cast was very well cast. Uh, you have this uh this wide array of characters each of them memorable and like aaron said the camaraderie between them is so genuine you can't fake this type of banter and this type of dialogue in the way that they do it it just comes off so natural and so engaging i mean honestly i watched this movie over and over again and i never get tired of it because it's just so much fun to watch and so much fun to listen to them so yeah it's it's Honestly, it's going to be very hard to replicate this uh, for the reboot. I honestly don't know how they're going to do it. Can they just cancel the reboot? Let's no. just leave it alone. Nope. Let this masterpiece be its... it's nope. There's uh, money to be made, so they're going to try. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this now. <laughs> anyway, uh, Andy, why do you love this movie? I love the story. Uh, I love the world that these movies exist in. Mm. There's this you know, network of criminals. They all know each other. They're most times friends. They're able to pull in people who aren't part of their family of criminals to help them in in a heist or whatever. But it's what you would hope all criminals would have in real life, right? Friendships with other criminals, and they just you know work together on stuff. I'm sorry, you said you would hope for criminals to be friends with other criminals. Yeah, that's what you said. Friendly criminals. <laughs> I think that's the opposite of what like prison is trying to do by rehabilitating people don't they say don't go back to your old acquaintances when you're out of prison Eh, what do they know (laughs) it's a parole violation to (laughs) associate with known films (laughs) okay i also love the lingo i mean there's a lot of lingo in this movie that they use that i just love i love the characters but above all like uh, brian and like aaron i love the cast i love cast with a bunch of stars 
to steal a sports metaphor, it's like you know, super teams in NBA and NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, aside from just a star-studded cast, they got a really good cast. Cause you can have stars, and they're not fun to root for. They're not. They don't have good chemistry. Yeah. So they got a really good cast here. A bunch of likable guys and girls who are genuinely fun to root for, and seem to actually like each other and have good chemistry. Uh, some were A-listers already. Some became A-listers after this movie. Not because of this movie necessarily, but after. And the story was good. The movie was fun. The cast was excellent. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to share this quote from Steven Soderbergh, and I think he sums it up for me. Um, he said that the film was an opportunity to give audiences pleasure from beginning to end. He wanted it to be a movie that you just surrender to without embarrassment and without regret. Mm. And I feel the same way. I like uh, that. This is like the most fun I've ever had watching a movie. It's probably this. Mm-hmm. Just because I liked everybody who was in it. You're rooting for them. They're clearly, you know, there's not a lot of tension. Um, it's really awesome to look at. Visually attractive. Um, set in a great city you know las vegas in the sense that it's always been maybe a fantasy of a lot of people to see if they could actually rob the <laughs> las vegas casino mm-hmm. and these guys are robbing three right in one night and you're just like please let this work this this <laughs> just could be so awesome if they pull it off can, and it's amazing yeah can, and also to that point um and we've said this before when we talk about it this movie is its own genre is it not? Yeah. Can, can you classify this under an existing genre? Can you? I mean, it's a heist movie. I mean, that is its own subgenre. You That's know, the there's, best there's that you can movies. do. Yeah. yeah. And, and even then, it is just so... Because there's there's plenty of humor in it. Right. It's, it's one of those things where it's not a comedy, even right. though there's laughs. It's not an action movie, even though there's sequences of, you know, exciting stuff. Right. It's not really a drama, even though it has dramatic moments. Exactly. You can't say that it's any of those. It's not suspense. It's not terror. It's not anything that you would normally say. It's just like a fun heist movie. Exactly. It kind of created its own thing. That's right. And that's, that's part of why it's so special, because it does so many of those things and it does them well. Right. What was your reaction after seeing it the very first time in theaters? Do you guys remember? Well, or I was, seeing it at home because yeah, that was the case with me. I was uh, I was eight years old. Oh wow! So I will say I thought it was cool, <laughs> but I de- I definitely <laughs> you, didn't. I you did didn't not, know what was going on. No, I didn't appreciate yeah. it to the level that I do now. I really don't. I, I thought it was cool because even at eight years old, you can get the gist that oh they pulled it off and it was impossible, but they did it. That's cool. Yeah. And now, as an adult, you appreciate all the subtleties that, you know, lead them to that point. Right. When I, In 2001, I just turned three, so definitely <laughs> couldn't appreciate it then. But <laughs> when I first saw it later, when I got older, I, it's amazing how all these people can come together. And just the, it's, it was a whole different kind of story. And the way it was put together is I, I watched it several times, multiple times throughout my life. So. I really enjoyed it. All I remember about the first time was I, I liked the cast. I, I mean, I recognized some names already at 2000. In 2001, I was 13, but uh, I didn't really understand how they pulled off the heist. I mean, it was it's a lot of moving pieces, and so I mm. just kind of took it as, yes, they were mm-hmm. successful. Right. Couldn't have told you how. I can tell you exactly when we saw it. You and I saw it at the same time in 2004, and Natalie was with us, my cousin. Uh, we ordered pizza from Pizza Hut. 
it was I think a Friday night and uh, for whatever reason we had nothing else to do somebody recommended the movie to us so we rented it and yeah at what, by the time it was over we are just like that's so awesome then we look up that there's going to be a sequel coming out in like three months and we're just like yes awesome we don't even have to wait that long Where, we, did you rent it at Blockbuster? Uh, probably no. no Super Video Super Video <clears throat> no 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 because we're in Amarillo there was no Super Video here oh yeah Two, 2004 yeah, or Hastings here. yeah no, we never went to Hastings. That's a deep cut right there. I don't think so. It was no. Or maybe we bought it. I don't remember. Anyway, we saw it for the first time that way. And we were just like, that was a really cool movie. You remembered a lot then. Yeah. This is a I testament was... to the impression it left on you then. Yeah. <laughs> the impression was deep. Man. <laughs> and also, it means he was the oldest at the time. So Right. Okay, yeah. so um, like I said probably still my favorite film of all time it's not that it can't be beaten it's just going to be hard to dethrone it but the spot is there to be taken the Mm -hmm. number one spot for me Mm -hmm. if something else can come around and really blow my socks off to the level that this did i'll give it the number one spot. it's possible but for right now yeah it's still my favorite film ever hey that's that's quite the record it holds after 20 some years yeah yeah you got the critics audience scores b I do, actually. Um, what critic, they say? Critic score, at least this is according to Rotten Tomatoes, so again, this is an aggregate, okay? 83% of critics recommend this film. They say, watch it. Very good. So it's certified fresh. I'll take it. And 80% of uh, audiences say the same. They say, good film, recommended, definitely watch it. All right. What was the audience score? 80%. 80%. So it was lower than the critic score. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. I, I, I made a note about that. I said, I, I, you know it's a smart movie when the critic score is higher than the audience score. Yeah. Because the audience always tends to overrate, you know, popcorn films and, you know, action and terrible movies. Uh, and this is one where the critics got it right. It uh, is. Like, that's a really strong score, yeah. 83%. And, and I that's think right. I'm it's sur- right, on the net, right on the head. I'm <clears> surprised <throat> that the audience score wasn't higher just because of the cast and how much people at that time loved Clooney and Pitt and Roberts it's and all that. Defi- it was definitely a smash hit at the, at the, uh, at the box office. Yeah. But I think, it's, I think it's more that the critics could see the technical aspect of it and why it excelled. Uh, the meta score, which is like, again, an aggregate of a 1 to 10... Is actually a seventy-four. Okay. So, uh, in like the the overall view is that it's a seven point five out of ten movie. Okay. That's I wouldn't agree with that. It's a little low for me, especially being my favorite movie. But uh, you know, uh, at this point, I'm just gonna shut them out and just <laughs> stay with what I feel in my mind and in my heart. I think I think part of maybe why it didn't review super duper well is because, like Andy actually said, there's a lot of moving pieces, and there's a lot of characters, and a very short time to introduce them all, and to have them be meaningful in a way. And that's very tough to do. Right. I mean, any movie that's going to introduce 11 characters, and more, sorry, it's more, for all of them to have an impression on the audience, is very, very difficult. Near impossible. Right. And I'm going to say that if anybody else tried this, they'd probably fail. Right. Exactly. Because that's way too many characters. The only reason that it works in this movie is because all of those 
actors were okay with not having more screen time. Mm-hmm. And the bit of screen time that they do have, whether it's a total of five minutes or ten minutes or whatever it is, they're okay with it and they smash it. Exactly, that's right. So I don't agree necessarily with the Metacritic score. For me, this movie is easy, easy, eight and a half to nine out of ten. Yeah. So I'll tell you why the audience score was so low. Because they didn't, they couldn't, they couldn't follow the heist. That's, that's what, exactly why. Exactly. And it it's was, the same reason why people didn't like Ocean's Twelve because right. they couldn't follow along. They weren't in on the joke, and so yeah. that's probably why the critics also were negative of it. Although I do agree that so many characters, so little time. You know, somebody who's super artsy thinks it wasn't enough time to, you know, service the characters and all that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm surprised the audience might have felt that way. I don't I'm, know. I'm not. Yeah. It's it's like like we said. It's a lot of moving pieces, and at the end, you know, you either just accept it for what it is, or you try and dissect it. And the ones who try and can't are not going to like the film. Yeah. But for us, I mean, we can follow it, and especially after multiple viewings, even more so. And so it deepens our appreciation of it. It almost has like the opposite effect. Before we continue question for you guys is this the greatest all-star cast ever assembled in a movie if it's not the greatest it's very close it's got to be top three probably well all right i don't know too many films that have a cast this this hard all right let's move on to the segment best thing i've ever seen great scenes in the movie there's so many scenes in this movie that i love and um, I just don't want to sound too much like a fanboy, so I need to. I gotta let you guys start. You, you can, can knock gush. most of them. You can gush, man. All right, Go ahead. man. All right, I've got like five or six here that I want to talk <laughs> do about. It, okay. Do it, do it, do it. One of my favorite scenes is when Ruben is telling the guys about the most successful robberies in Vegas casinos, or the almost successful robberies, I should say. Right. Um, that was really cool. How he's, you know, they do the flashbacks and everything, and. The first two are, are pretty short and, and funny. Like when he says the this guy, the second guy, almost or he tasted fresh air before <laughs> yeah. before he uh, got hit. Uh, and then the third one was so funny when he he's like he walked out. He's like he's like he came, he grabbed, they conquered, they conquered. Yeah. exactly. And then he goes, take my breath away. <laughs> and he gets shot in the back. Yeah. I just thought that was so funny and the way if you look at the guy carrying the money it's so funny because doesn't he have like a a a cigar in his mouth as he's doing it he's just like cradling the money and he's got the cigar he's just like i made it i made it outside yeah he made it to the parking lot and then boom uh that was that's just so fun to watch Uh, another sequence that i really liked is of course getting the 11 together uh it Mm -hmm. doesn't actually take as long as i initially remembered i always thought that that took maybe like a good 10 minutes to do no they accomplished that pretty quickly where they get everybody Mm -hmm. another scene is the discussing of the plan at ruben's house uh, where they get everybody together and ruben starts with that opening line would you all get a group rate or something yeah Yeah. (laughs) that was really funny um (laughs) Another scene for me was the first Danny and Tess scene when they're in the casino. I have that too. Yeah. That was some great acting. Like, if you wanted to take the movie seriously for a moment, that's the scene where they show you that these aren't just pretty faces. They're really good actors. Yes, that's right. And the scene was so well written, too. I'm just going to go ahead and say that Julia Roberts is amazing Mm -hmm. in this movie. She's probably the most realistic 
person. I don't know if that's a if that makes sense to you guys, but she felt the most real to me, the most out of everybody, grounded or authentic. Yeah, 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 definitely the most grounded. Wow, she was just so good in that scene and in pretty much every scene. She like I I feel I feel what she's feeling. So I wrote down that exact scene. You know, Danny's line, does he make you laugh? And Tess responds, he doesn't make me cry. And yeah. I just, I love that. Ooh. Every time I hear that, I stop and I appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember dad's reaction when he saw that. And he was like, wow, that was good. <laughs> um, another one of my favorite scenes is, of course, at the ending where Benedict realizes what actually happened. That is so good. And it it's one of those things that it tastes so good. It's just like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> satisfying. Because it's it's satisfying. super satisfying yeah. because this guy is so unlikable. You just want him to lose <clears throat> so bad mm-hmm. because he's so like annoyingly arrogant and he's smug. And, yeah, smug. And the thing is that I, upon rewatch, he's not really like I, I don't like him as a person, but I admire him as a boss. He's, he seems to be really good at his job. Disciplined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really disciplined. Yeah. And He's I'm like, excellent. this is a guy who is, is very efficient. Um, he can be very assertive and, and ruthless even um, when he needs to be. But he's he's good at what he does. No yeah. wonder he's worth, at that time, you know, $750 million. Mm-hmm. This is worth, yeah, he probably deserves every penny of that because he's very, very good at what he does. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, you guys have any scenes that I didn't mention? That I've, you actually, to throw in there? I've got two. Go for it. I've got a couple. Two scenes. <laughs> Rusty teaching the 90 stars how to play poker. Yeah. Nice. Great, great scene. Oh. Yeah. All right, you took um, one of mine, just so you know. Oh, I, I really thought Steven was going to have that. I thought he was going to lead with that, because I'm like, <laughs> uh, that has to be one of them. <laughs> then the other one for me was Rusty giving Linus last-minute advice before the job. He's terrifying Linus, yeah. and he says, you Yes. Know, and one more thing. Above everything else, and then he gets cut off and walks away. You see Linus thinking like, "Oh God, I'm in trouble." Yeah, doesn't he do the same thing to him in the um, in the sequel? Uh, they they troll him in every movie. In every movie, yeah, yeah. yeah that's I, right. I like how he's like, uh, "You got to be funny, but don't make him laugh." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. you just see the expression on Matt Damon's face, like. How do I do this? Yes. You got to be memorable, but he has to forget about you the second you walk away. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the writing's so good in this. It is. Um, okay. Uh, you got some scenes, Bri? Yeah. Anything that he didn't mention? Aaron? Oh, okay. No, let's let Aaron go. All right. Go for it. Go All for right. it, bro. I, mean, I had a couple, yeah. Um, one of them was the Malloy brothers. The the When they're first introduced, the racing. Yeah. yeah. Racing the RC car. And he just, I'm going to copy like third period yeah, French. That just yeah. sets the scene, sets the table for their whole relationship throughout the movie yeah. like throughout the rest of the movie they're not even they're in the same scene for for each they're always together yeah and the way they bicker is just i mean you you, you know it's fun it's to watch brotherly them. yeah yeah just how brothers are and- <laughs> um interesting that you mentioned that man because that is the only scene where they are physically apart from each other yeah. every other scene in the movie they are together yeah. within arm's reach mm-hmm. which is pretty cool to to know that is true. And as far as my favorite scenes go, I mean, you guys mentioned so many of my favorites. And I was going to mention the Rusty teaching the, the the movie stars playing poker. So what I'll mention is when uh, Linus is playing the character from the, the NCG. Wait, the NGC. NGC, yeah. yeah. A lot of gaming commission. And, uh, and he's with Benedict and with Bernie Mac. Yeah. And they're supposedly confronting his falsification for employment, right? 
Oh my god. Well, I mean, Bernie yeah. Mac just cracks me up so much. Yeah. And that 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 exchange right there is just so Might funny. Might as well call it what? Yeah. yeah, that was yeah. funny. It's like cracker. <laughs> oh one, one of those lines was improv by Bernie. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Like, you want to get want me to get up on the table and dance? That was yeah. improv by yes. Bernie. Yes. Want me to shine your shoes? Want you want me to smile at you? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's great, man. Fantastic. I'm sad uh, that guy passed away. That's that's yeah. I miss Bernie Mac. And then the other one is when Tess is watching the conversation on the TV mm. between Danny and Terry. Ooh. You just feel it, man, when he's like, you give up Tess. What would you say? And he's like, I would say yes. I'd be interested to ask our wives how they would feel about something like that, like how hard it would hurt. Oh. Because you see Julia Roberts's face in that, and mm. it's it's complete disappointment one of our wives for sure is committing murder <laughs> i don't know which both man Bono <laughs> kill me too you chose 80 million over me yeah i'm worth 81 or more <laughs> yeah you're dead yeah I, I was i have a vexing question for that scene but i'll save it yeah i save didn't write it i didn't write it down but it, it's something that did bother me about that scene okay cool so if you guys had to pick one scene your favorite scene the one that you're pulling up on YouTube, if you have like two free minutes, this is the one you're pulling up. What are you watching? For me, it's the Bellagio fountain scene. Um, Matt Damon actually said that that was the last scene they filmed and that it was oddly emotional. Hmm. Yes, that's the and one. And so with, with the music and the setting, it's my favorite scene. If there's just one from the movie, you see all the cast, you know, that's it for me. That was one of my nominees. Mm-hmm. B? I think the heist plan all comes together. Because it's quick succession of events that have already happened, but it's just kind of explaining how it happened and the music that pairs with it. And there's, of course, some humor interjected in there as well. I think it sums up so much of what you've invested in this movie because it shows the dynamic between characters and it shows what all their hard work is paying off for. And uh, and it gives you that satisfying conclusion. This to is it. towards the end, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. This is when whenever you realize that the SWAT team is actually them and yeah. they just walk because they're there it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You expect us to walk out of there with 150 million on cash on us and the, and just walk out. Yep. <laughs> and that's what happens. Dang, you just changed my mind. I'm going to completely change my pick now based on what you just said. Really? I'm, I'm taking what you're taking. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I had the planning scene at Ruben's house just because it's kind of like the start of everything. It's them mm-hmm. lighting the match. Mm-hmm. But um, no, yours is better, man. It really is. And it, and it has that, you know, victorious kind of feel to it where mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, they won already. And so it's, it makes you feel good every time you watch it. Yep. Every time. I love it. Aaron? Mine was uh, Andy's. It was the... Um, which one was it? The fountain scene. Yeah, the fountain scene. <laughs> the fountain scene. Like, they're like, we did it. We pulled it off. And nice. that was a nice scene. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. Uh, last part of this segment. Point of no return. If the movie's on TV, at what point in the movie are you glued to the sofa and you have to watch the rest of it? Go ahead, Andy. When Danny is telling Rusty the plan... And he says, you want to knock over a casino? And Danny lifts up three fingers. <laughs> that's, that's that's too it. early in the no, movie. At that point, I'm committed. It's like, I'm going to see it through the rest of the way. But if I had said the same thing, you would have been like, that's too early in the movie. Because I, I didn't I do that for Jaws. I said, as soon as it starts, can I put the whole movie? <laughs> and, uh, and you guys are like, no, you have to pick like a certain point. Yeah, this is like 10, 12 minutes into the movie. Mm, okay, I'll accept it just because it's fine. 
B. My point of no return is when Danny sits in the chair in front of the parole board. Okay, that this is just <laughs> all right. Fine, then I'm gonna say the same thing. The beginning of the movie, as soon as it starts, as soon as we hear the the, uh, the buzzer the, of the yeah, uh, the eh, yeah. and all that. No, no, no. In all, in all seriousness, you cannot walk away from this movie after the scene at Ruben's house. No, when they plan it. It's impossible. I think that that would be my personal point of no return and many others as well, where it's like, this is the plan. It looks impossible. Can we do it? And then you see it. Ha you have to watch and You're see hooked. what happens. Yep. You're hooked after that. Yep. yep. You that, agree? That, that was mine. Yeah. I mean, you Damn. see all these moving pieces. How are they going to pull it off? I'm getting emotional so. right now because I'm, I love your answers so much. <laughs> I love them. I love them. <laughs> And yet I picked one towards the end of the movie, just thinking that you guys were going to be punks to me if I said what you said. You serious? Oh, my God. I put when Linus approaches Benedict as the uh, NGC guy. I was just like, oh, they'll probably accept that. Well, it Even ramps. though I wish I could pick something earlier in the movie. It does ramp up, but why yeah. would we? We're not going to judge you based on what you say. Just say it. You guys always judge me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Moving on to the next uh, part of this. Sec uh, behind the scenes. All right, B, I'm going to let you take the reins on this one if you want. What do you want to say about the director, cinematography, score, special effects, etc.? In interesting uh, point here. Steven Soderbergh, director, plays the role of cinematographer as well. And that's one thing that the cast mentions whenever you see like the behind-the-scenes type footage. Is that that's something that not very many directors do. And, uh, and it's funny because... I tend to do the same thing when I do like a small project. Mm -hmm. Nowhere near the level of what these guys are doing. And uh, I probably only do it because I can't afford a cinematographer or have <laughs> anyone else do that. But but there is value. I think he said there is value in being able to see the shot exactly how you see it. They say that yeah. Soderbergh would essentially be cutting and editing the film as he's shooting it. Which is again something that I tend to do because it's almost like you're... You're visualizing what you want to see, and so you have to try to get it there. You yeah. have to make it happen. Yeah, it's and impressive, man. I, I mean, if I were a director, I'd be the same way. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd love to have a cinematographer, but I'd be like, I have to be there. I have to be seeing everything. Yeah, and, like and in the moment, and I have to be the one to try to to try to make it look like how I have it in my mind. You know what I mean? And so, um, Soderbergh gets such major props for his work with Ocean's Eleven. Because, as we've already mentioned before, being able to uh, effectively tell this story with so many characters is almost impossible to do it well. Mm -hmm. And he is a big piece of the puzzle here. I mean, the actors themselves are are excellent at their job, and, and they do it well, and they have the banter, and they have the dialogue and everything else, but how are you going to cut all that together? And how are you going to be able to move the camera so that it tells the story that you want to tell as well? And how are you going to have it to where you're able to capture those moments of subtlety mm -hmm. where they're saying so much without saying a single word, you know, it's just with with the twitch of the eyebrow or a slight smile or the look they give each other. I mean, those are just the little things that we tend to not think about in the moment. We're just accepting it as it happens. But it's so special. So special. Yep. Yeah. I agree, man. Uh, it's cool that sort of like I put myself in his shoes, right? He just won an Oscar um, that year for the movie he made the year before, which was called Traffic, which was pretty dark. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Don Cheadle was in it and everything. And uh, what's her name? 
Uh, Catherine Zeta Jones was yeah, in it, I think. It was yeah. a, it was a, also one of those star sided casts. Yeah. He really likes those. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So he so imagine you just come off a project like that that's that's pretty heavy. You win your Oscar, so it's just like, okay, now I can you know, I've got this and mm. no one can take it away from me. Mm-hmm. And then what does he do next? I'm gonna make the most fun movie anyone's ever seen the in the past like thirty years. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like I would just be like I got this, man. I'm going to enjoy this so much. Yeah. His name carries weight. Apparently, they casted George Clooney first, yeah. then Julia Roberts, and then they asked... Oh, no. Is that not right? Pitt first. Pitt Was it Pitt Roberts, first? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because uh, what I remember them saying is that they asked Brad, hey, you want to be in it? And he's like, who's directing? Steven. Okay, I'm in. Oh, man. oh that's so nice. It's, yeah. it's awesome when you have such faith in people. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I heard he was a, a great director to you know act for oh yeah he's he's so laid back he'd be like one of us directing it just super approachable he's not a micromanager right he would he would tell people like uh the bellagio fountain scene at the very end he just tells them go stand yeah he doesn't tell them like how or in what order or what it's like just go do this yeah or he would tell the malloy twins well i mean the actors of course it's like you guys just do your thing you know like they would they would have written lines on in the script but then it's like, I mean, just just do whatever comes, comes to you in the moment. Yeah. And, a, and so many of those moments is what we actually see in the film. It's great when directors give actors the freedom to do that. Yeah. Actors really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'll have more on that uh, on the fountain scene at the end. I got something on that. Nice. So uh, real quick, I can't really speak to the intricacies of directing like you guys can. Um, I just know a good body of work when I see it. He has a really good resume. Yeah. A lot of good movies on his resume. Absolutely. Yeah. Cinematography. How do you feel about that? pretty good there were some good shots in there um cinematography because we've like we've mentioned before on the podcast it basically boils down to the framing and how does it help you to tell your story Mm -hmm. and there are some moments where cinematography is important because you have to be able to pick up on very small clues you know when is it that linus is lifting those codes from benedict or what does it mean when it's zooming in on an air freshener when really they're loading up the pinch in the background? Like, what is it trying to tell you? And it's trying to clue you in on these little things that it's going to call back to later. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, one shot that I felt that was pretty significant from a visual standpoint is after he leaves prison, uh, Danny. And then the first shot you see of him after he reaches uh, New Jersey, Atlantic City, it's in, uh, him coming up the escalator. So it's like you see the escalator kind of, and then Danny's just like coming up and everything, and he's all clean shaven, looking you know real nice and presentable, hand in his pocket, smooth, and it's to me it was like uh, a visual indication of a man on the rise, you yes. know, who's like freshened up and he's he's ready to take on the world. You Very know? good observation. Yeah. I like that. If yeah. I, could, I when I watched that, I said if anybody ever recorded me, and I could only have one recording of myself. I just want to do that. Yeah. Just have them get me as I'm coming up an escalator with one hand in the pocket with a nice jacket on and everything, and I just start walking. <laughs> so I only have one note about the cinematography, something I, I, I read online. He, Soderbergh apparently wanted to film the whole movie in black and white, huh? which I would have hated. I, I don't do well with black and white scenes in movies. Well, no. and to capture the glamour of Vegas, you need color, I think. And so yeah. Warner Brothers actually said yes, but he had to trim the, the budget drastically in order for them to make that concession. And so he decided against it. But mm. I thought that would have been... 
I mean, that's an interesting choice and whole thought process behind that whole movie in black and white. Yeah. An homage to the original, maybe? I, I guess so. I think it maybe. had to do with that, yeah. Mm. Could be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he's like me. He likes black and white. You know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, script and screenplay, sharp, witty. I think we all agree with that. Mm-hmm. Good. And concise. Yeah, the score. Had you heard of David Holmes before no. this movie? No. I hadn't either, and then afterwards, I was just like, I like this guy's style. It's mm-hmm. so different from anybody else. Literally, nobody makes music like he does, mm-hmm. um, which is just really like, like funky, but it's you know got its own vibe. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I really like David Holmes, and he ends up doing the music also for Twelve and Thirteen, yeah, and for like every Soderbergh project after that. <laughs> He just calls up David Holmes and says, you want to do it? Sure. And Oceans is, the the musical score is, in a way, iconic, I guess, for fans of the movie. You hear it, you know it. Yeah. Even though it's got that jazzy, and some people will say that jazz tends to kind of sound similar. Different works of, of, you know, of that type of music may sound too similar, but not this one. I think this really stands out on its own. That opening track, as soon as they ask him, what would you do if you were released? Yes. A certain track starts playing called Rodney Yates. Uh-huh. If you all ever want to, you know, melt my heart or anything, that's my favorite track from that movie and one of my favorite tracks ever. It's my ringtone on my phone. I love that. It just, every time I hear it, it puts me in a good mood, makes me feel cool, confident. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, wardrobe. Oh no, sorry. Before we get to wardrobe, special effects. There wasn't much, but I, I read that the shaft, the elevator shaft, was yeah. fake. That the actors, uh, Damon and Clooney, were actually just like a couple feet from the ground, mm. but they made it look like they were, mm-hmm. you know, way far up. And the explosions, I'm, I'm assuming as well, is part of it. Controlled explosions, was yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Yep. Wardrobe. Uh, I have a comment on this. Brad Pitt's style is pretty dated in this. I don't know why, yes. but back in the day, I was just like, man, he's a cool, sharp dresser. No, he's not. No. Not in this movie. He does not look good. He is, he's got one color combination there with the suit. With the When he had the... It was a charcoal suit with a purple shirt and a gold tie, and it looks so bad. It's like something the Joker would wear. It would, I was like, man, that is that has not aged well. And he's got those glasses, the tinted glasses too oh man that oh look. at the end of the movie yeah, yeah not a, very early 2000s early, yeah yeah uh very much of the moment um but clooney on the other hand i mean timeless I'm, looks man th- that's exactly it timeless a I lot disagree. of people are not oh. into that style like you don't see a lot of people nowadays saying oh i can't wait to wear like a you know a suit and a nice dress shirt and nice shoes and everything i still appreciate that stuff very much that is exactly the kind of guy i want to be when i'm 40 50 years old and if you go to prison you can dress like that too apparently thanks man <laughs> <laughs> what andy you you don't agree I, I i think both brad pitt and clooney both of their looks are dated because of the style of suit that Clooney wears. You know, nowadays it would be very modern and trim and whatever. Uh, so I think for me, watching it, they were both as dated. Because Brad Pitt's looks could still work, and they would work today if the suits were better cut. But the... but You're, no. talking, you're talking color combos? Yeah. The color, still com- work. the color combos don't work, man. I think I think somebody he, could pull it off. Only the, the, Even the metallic silver thing, the whole millennium thing he's got going on, that wouldn't fly today. At all, I, I that's think, too I much think glitter. Lots of people could on, pull it off with uh, a, a better 
fit for the yeah. suit. They felt very boxy. Well, those suits. M- maybe it can come back. But even Cl- Clooney's suits weren't big on him. They weren't baggy. In, in 2001, everybody's suits were bigger and boxy. But if there you was look no at, if you look slim at his, fit or trim fit or any of that. Go back and look at his. His don't look big on him. That's what I'm saying. And I don't think he's saying that they look big. It's just the cut of the suit. Aaron, it's tell a us very, what you feel. It's a traditional style suit. Pick, pick a side, Aaron. Oh, no, yeah, I agree. I mean, With who? <laughs> everyone. No. Oh. No, so they were very, they are dated. The, the, the fit of the suits were, I mean, oh. like Andy was saying, just looser. You the, know. the door's over there, bro. Yeah, you okay. can leave now. It's, <laughs> it was a pleasure. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Okay. One one quick thing also yeah. about the wardrobe is that I remember seeing in the behind-the-scenes stuff is that um, Soderbergh wanted everybody at the casino to be real dressed up. And I think it was almost like evocative of being in a ball almost. Mm. And again, he's just trying to capture the the vibe or the essence of a real glamorous 60s style vegas and not like if you went to a casino today and everyone's wearing you know shorts and tommy bahama shirts right i saw a behind the scenes featurette and one of the things they said to you know piggyback on what you just said is that it takes place in a vegas that has been heightened uh it's yes. the vegas we wish all like was vegas but it's not the actual reality of what vegas is right to go along with your point about everybody looking really nice and dressing nice and it's mm-hmm. true now they're like in shorts and flip flops and <laughs> yep. wearing you know like Hawaiian shirts and stuff exactly that's right For, to go back to I think it goes with special effects or yeah um, when they demolished the old casino oh. it was actually re redone because the movie came out soon after 9-11 so the way it was originally was too it looked too similar to the uh you know the the, fall, twin, tower? the twin towers so oh. they had to quick scramble and cgi the to make it what it is in the oh in the, in the i did not know that I, I watched it on dvd so they have the bonus features so they actually show the original oh the original explosion. version yeah, of it yeah. oh, and, okay. and does it look similar yeah i mean there's two big towers and for as part of the the casino, oh, so it is. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. That's interesting. So close, it probably would have been a little too, too soon, too yeah. fresh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. That's a good note, man. Thanks. Nice. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, next segment: winners and losers. This is fun. So here we're going to talk about winners and losers, the best and the worst in the movie. Uh, the best performance. Who do you got? Anybody can go first. I have three. And I couldn't decide between the three. And I, I think I know if I have to pick one, I know who I'll pick. Okay. I loved Clooney because he's so likable in the movie. You know, he was this criminal who we all root for. He he's does so this likeable. every time. Have you noticed, Brian? What? He just picks the character he likes the most and says <laughs> that's the best performance in the movie. <laughs> because <laughs> you tend to do that. Uh, sure. Fine. <laughs> okay, continue. Uh, Julia Roberts, because she's so believable. Uh, we talked about that a little bit earlier. And Andy Garcia as Bennett because he's so great as a unlikable, as the villain of the movie. Your last two were my two nominees. I picked Julia. She's just so good in this, man. She's the best actor in this movie, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Uh, not as far as ability, uh, but what she actually put on screen. That's just me. Mm-hmm. And I love everybody in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's just she had the most relatable down to earth character. I feel everybody else was a little bit more just like 
almost out like there. A, yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say cartoonish, but you know, they're characters. They're characters. They're characters exactly. Yeah. And she felt more real. Test, yeah. And then Benedict Andy Garcia killed it. Mm-hmm. It just wow, really good. This is so hard for me to to pick a best because I I love everyone's performance in in this movie, but. I, I do think that I would still choose George Clooney for mine. Really? Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say it is because he sets the tone for the entire film. I mean, yes, he's the first one that we see. And yes, it is Ocean's Eleven. He's the, he's the, uh, the title character, I guess you could say. But it's almost as if the vibe I get is that everyone's kind of following their lead. Uh, his lead, sorry. Mm-hmm. and uh, in the way that he executes his performance and he has this charisma that yes he's a criminal yes he's stealing but even in the movie everyone's his friend and everyone mm-hmm. wants to be his friend right and there's a reason for that 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 kind of of charm and charisma is probably very natural to george clooney because he's just yeah he's just a charming guy um did he just play himself i i feel like almost almost in a way i think he might have man but just the way he does it so effortlessly yeah because i can't even imagine how someone can pretend to be charming Mm -hmm. and he just does it so that's why he's my pick aaron what about you Uh, best performance i mean best acting performance i'd have to agree mostly with with brian and and andy i mean I love when people agree with me. But I also it's a win. I yeah. also like Brad Pitt. I mean, he's the second. Mm-hmm. He's the second in command. He's pretty much Danny's right hand, um, and just he's he's the go getter. He gets things done, and the way he portrayed that, I I thought it was very convincing. And I mean, we talked about his wardrobe. He can pull. I think he can wear anything and still look good. So it's, it's just the way he carries himself. They said that in, yeah. the, in the feature at all. So they yeah. just like, Brad Pitt, how do you make him look ugly? You put anything on him and he still looks good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Worst performance. I'll start. For me, Bruiser. Love the guy. I want to give him a hug. He's like a big teddy bear, but th- as far as acting goes, that was the worst performance. I'm sorry, Danny. Yes. I forgot. Sorry, I forgot. It's like, How's your wife? And he's like, pregnant again. <laughs> well, it happens. <laughs> but I think he had to kind of play that up because he's, yeah. his name is literally Bruiser. Yeah. He I comes see. in as this menacing and they need to be like, no, no, I, he's I had, not. I had to pick somebody. You know what I mean? And there's not, there weren't that many like really, really low performances at all. Uh, my pick for worst performance would be the boxers. They didn't have any lines. Yeah, but as soon as the lights came on, why would you like immediately go to hit each other? It's not like the other one turned the lights off. Just go to your corner. What happened there? Don't question Lennox Lewis. He could kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was actually a side note on on Lennox. uh, Like doing this movie, his little cameo, it actually affected his boxing career. Really? His opponent, while he was shooting, it was like two days but his opponent was able to get more training and that kind of <gasps> no led way. to Lennox's career not doing as well as it could have been and wow. losing out in money. So that's somebody so, who regrets doing Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, probably. Does he regret it, That though? seems like a cop-out. Maybe. That somebody, yeah, two days should make the difference. Like, between. if he became an actor after that, he, he would have been like, yeah, okay. It worked out. True, yeah. Okay, yeah. But he didn't. His boxing career probably would have been more lucrative than, than his acting career. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but as as far as worst performance, I'd have to say Don Cheeto. His accent, really, like his acting itself wasn't terrible, but his accent was just like over the was, top. Yes. So it's, it's so more much. like a worse accent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. Because there are no bad performances. Right, exactly. We're stressing that. Everyone does great. Ex- except Bru- Bruiser. Yeah, except Bruiser. But, <laughs> and the boxers. But. <laughs> no, Bruiser, he did what, that was what they wanted him to do. I think so. And I think he pulled it off, so. But that's the Aaron's point, is that there's no bad actors. It's just that his accent was over the top. Yeah. His, okay. His Cockney accent. So yeah. I, I agree with Aaron. I put that. I put Don Cheadle wow. because of the Cockney accent. Um, I didn't mind it. I didn't had never really paid much attention to it. But when I was reading through notes on the movie, apparently it was panned pretty badly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, people did not like it at all. And it's something that gets poked fun at in Ocean's 12. There's a couple of Easter eggs in the movie <laughs> um, about his accent. Yeah. Huh. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the sequel, but uh, that's one thing that Don Cheadle felt very self-conscious about. And he asked if he could change it in the in Ocean's 12, and his agent told him no. <laughs> really? Yeah. He could just tone it down, maybe. Maybe. Just a bit. Okay, uh, best line in the movie. I had so many here, but I, I finally picked a winner for me. There's so many. Yeah. I, there Who were, wants to start? There were lots of good lines, but this was the best line. And so for yeah. me, best line was Ruben. At the end of this, he'd better not know you're involved, not know your names, or think you're dead because he'll kill you, and then he'll go to work on you. <laughs> that was one of my nominee- That was one of my top three nominees. Yeah. Wow, we think alike. Uh, what'd you get, Brian? Aaron? Uh, okay, no, Either yeah, one. I'll go. I'll go. Um, it's very hard for me to pick. One of them is at the racetrack, and Rusty tells. No, sorry. Oh, yeah. Rusty tells Saul what's with the orange, and he says, my doctor says I need vitamins. So why don't you just take vitamins? <laughs> Would you come here to give me a physical? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but the other one that I also was having a hard time deciding is also Saul, where he's just looking at the monitors, and he's like, that is the sexiest yeah. thing I have ever seen. Yes. <laughs> like, the kind of show. <laughs> I love him, man. I yeah. love Saul. Carl Reiner. Oh, man. Aaron? Uh, for me, I had a couple too. Um, one of them was Ruben when Danny and Rusty are trying to convince him to go along with the plan. He's like, "Once you're out of the door, you're still in the cussing desert." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had that. I had yeah. that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and another one was um, he's so uh, frank, uh, Ruben. Does yeah. I love him so much. Yeah. Another one was uh, I think it was Linus. Him and Danny were talking about. Linus wanted to be more part of the, you know, have a bigger part in the in the scheme. And uh, Danny says, "You got to learn. You got to learn to walk before you can crawl." And then Rusty's like, "Reverse that." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I like funny. that. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. Uh, those are really good, man. I have a lot of them. Um, I won't say them all. I can share them with you guys later. But my winner was uh, from Ruben when everybody's going into his house. And Linus kind of like stays back a little bit, and almost like unsure, like because yeah. this could be really dangerous. You know, I don't know if I want to do this. And Reuben approaches him, and he goes, "You're Bobby Caldwell's kid from Chicago. It's nice there. You like it? Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Get in the goddamn house." <laughs> <laughs> That's so great, man. Oh, I kind of wish somebody would say that to me one yeah, day. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, worst line of the movie. 
I struggled a little bit with this, mm. but I ended up going with the conversation that Linus and Rusty have right when they're in front of the staircase before Tess shows up, mm-hmm. where Linus asks Rusty, you suicidal? And Rusty says, only in the morning. I don't understand that line, period. <laughs> and I don't think you need it. Like I, But I still don't get it. I mean, I just think, like, you could scrap that line. That's, that's the same... Uh, logic behind mine. It's not that it was necessarily a bad line. It's just unnecessary. Mm. Mine was um, where the bleep you been when Yen, oh, Yen is in the vault and everything. I was yeah. just like, you didn't need that. You did that to try to be like funny because he's got an accent and everything. It's, mm. But you did not need that line at all. And he hadn't even been waiting that long. So what's his, you know, hurry? Like, you guys have been taking forever. You've literally been there for like 30 seconds. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what'd you guys get for worst line? Yeah, I don't really have a worst line. Okay. And again, it it just kind of goes back to there's not anything that's egregiously bad. It's just tough. It's like what you guys are doing. You know, it's not that they're necessarily bad. It's just that it's not really necessary. So yeah. I mean, I agree with y'all's pick. I just don't have one of my own. Gotcha, Aaron. Yeah, same thing. I mean, if I had to pick one, it would probably be. Towards the beginning of the movie when, you know, Danny is in front of the parole board and she, they ask him, like, why, what prevents you from doing the same thing once you get out? And he says something along the lines of, my wife left me once, what is she going to do? Is she going to do it again yeah, just for I kicks? Yeah, I don't think she'll do like it again that. just for kicks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was, uh, yeah. But it I, is I funny. Like that, yeah, it is but funny. it is funny. I like that line. Yeah. But but yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, okay, out of all the people involved in this movie, cast and crew, who deserves to be remembered most for this movie? Uh, Andy, go first. Okay, for me, it was easy. This one is obvious, but I feel very strongly about it. George Clooney. In a literal sea of stars, he was the lead, and he's the leader of the movie, and he's the leader of the cast in real life. Um, I truly believe that. Uh, Many of these guys had successful movies before and after Ocean's Eleven. Many won Oscars. In fact, this film includes six Academy Award winners. Affleck, Damon, Pitt, Clooney, Roberts, and Soderbergh. And three nominees. Garcia, Cheadle, and Gould. Or Gould. But in this movie, George Clooney is the sun and everyone else is just a planet. He, this movie revolves around him. He is the movie. He is that franchise. Man. You sold me on the last line. Before that, I disagreed with you, but you got me there. He is absolutely the sun and everybody revolves around him mm-hmm. in every sense. Mm-hmm. Wow. Good. I, I'm okay with that. He was my number. He was my uh, runner up for this. Wow. I, had, I had Soderbergh. That's my pick. That was my pick too. Yeah. And, and my reasoning for it is that he made his mark in the film industry and in cinema with this with this film. Mm-hmm. And this isn't like a... It's not a masterpiece. It, he didn't go in trying to win Oscars with this film. He wanted something that was entertaining and that people could enjoy the ride. But just because that's the purpose doesn't mean that he treated it any less seriously than any of his other works. And in doing so, he made something truly special because, as we've already said, this movie is so unique uh, to the point where we almost call it its own genre. And, I mean, it's it's in large part due to him because of the way that he decided to structure it and shoot it and how he was going to tell this story. 
So that's why he's he's my pick as far as, you know, you, you want a name to stand out from Ocean's Eleven, it's Steven Soderbergh. Okay, so I have a question. It's not a, an, an objection or rebuttal. It, it's a legit question. Sure. Can you really say that when he just won Best Director for Traffic the year before? Can you say that he this was, you know... Well, how many people remember Traffic and how many people remember Ocean's Eleven? Ooh, that's true. Yeah, but they're very different movies. Yeah, but that's 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 my point though is that he he could continue making the dark and the dramatic and get these Oscars, but the impact that this movie had went beyond that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. My reasoning, my support for agreeing with Brian is you can. There's been other stars. And Nate, you're agreeing with me sorry, too, Aaron. Especially Stephen. <laughs> I um, need my pat on the head every so often too. You're right. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, you're forgiven. <laughs> there, there have been other star-studded movies that haven't really worked out. They kind of flopped, and but he was able to. Uh, it was largely in part of the the actors, of course, but he was able to put these actors and characters together and make it really work in a way that is fun to watch yeah mm-hmm. agree 100 percent. who in this movie should be forgotten and there's only one right answer guys it's bucky buchanan from saratoga because <laughs> <laughs> saul forgot about him the mo- we should all just forget about him too that's poor oh. guy he just wanted to say hi what he what, just wanted to say hi to saul what happened he to was, him he was so excited oh what do you think happened to him oh. after the twins took him oh no. they, they took him they, they took him outside and they just said here's five bucks go to mcdonald's and you know have yourself a, a nice yeah. meal you think so i they took him outside and they told him saul will call you later yeah. <laughs> but so quick easter egg for that name you guys catch the name yeah bucky, yeah. bucky, bucky yeah. buchanan yeah. yeah that's uh captain, captain america. america yeah, yeah. James Buchanan. Nice. <laughs> Man, I just feel so bad for him. It's me, Bucky Buchanan from Saratoga. Yeah. Takes <laughs> off the glasses. <laughs> it's like, please recognize yeah. me. I thought it's you were going to so genuine. I thought you were going to say forget Bruiser. Oh, Bruiser no. I no. thought you were, yeah. No, I, I love Bruiser. I still love Bruiser. Glad that he shows up in 12 and 13 in, in like bit cameos. That's mm-hmm. good. Um, egg drops. Here we go, guys. Easter eggs, little known facts, foreshadowing, symbolism, trivia. Blah blah blah, and we have some already. But what else did you guys find? Because I had a couple. I had just a few things that I'll mention real brief. Okay, mm-hmm. in the beginning, um, so the opening scene, he's kind of dismissing the idea that uh, he cares any more about his wife or their relationship status, right? With the little quip that that Aaron didn't really care for, where he says, "You know, she already left me once. I don't think she'd do it again for just for kicks and everything." So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of telling you he's accepted that he, he's done. Right? He's mm-hmm. divorced now. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you see in the next scene when he's getting all his stuff, he gets his wedding ring. And if you notice, he holds on to it, kind of like juggles it like that and looks at it. And so it implies the opposite. Even though he just said all that, admitting like he had, you know, he's done with his wife, he's not done. Right. That's what that is meant to tell you. And you don't realize it until later on in the film when he actually. Mm-hmm you know, shows you that that's what he's out for. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really care about the money. Um, where uh, just a little, you know, I don't know. It's not really foreshadowing, I guess you could say, because uh, it's just a callback when Benedict has Tav, Tessa kind of stay back and he looks at the security camera. He's like, in my hotel, there's always somebody watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Julia, I mean, uh, Tess repeats this to him at the, at the end. You of all people should know, Terry, 
in your hotels, there's always someone watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought I, I thought that was nice. Out there's always callbacks. Yeah. And the last one was the car freshener. Did yeah. you notice that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. time you know you watch this movie, and you're just like, why are they zooming in on the car freshener? I don't get it. And th- mm-hmm. and when I saw it this time, I was just like, okay, there you go. <laughs> they were letting you know that it would be important later, or the connection would be made later. Yep. You just didn't know it. Yeah. Obviously, if they had shown you, oh, that car freshener's inside of a swap van. Yeah. Then the end of the movie becomes, it's you know, too predictable. Uh, t- too predictable, and you're just like, oh, okay, they're the SWAT team. And at the same time, it answers the question: if they hadn't shown that, like, where in the heck did they get a SWAT van from? Yeah. But no, it's because it was always there. Yeah. Just. I didn't catch that, so thank you for explaining that to me. <laughs> uh, a few other points. Um, I've actually got quite a bit here, but I but I'll let you guys interject, okay? If at any point you want to stop and, and share one, I'll go through these pretty quick. Brett Ratner at one point was set to direct. Uh, Bro, uh, no. I'm glad that didn't happen for uh-uh. multiple reasons. Yeah. One of them being, thank goodness, he made Rush Hour Two that same year, mm-hmm. and he couldn't do it. <laughs> Rush Hour 2 is great. We might do that one. John Favreau was offered to write the screenplay, but turned it down. Hmm. That was a miss, John. Sorry. <laughs> um, Brad Pitt had just finished doing a movie, Spy Game, but he agreed to be in Ocean's Eleven after being asked by George Clooney. He was the first to join the cast. Gotcha. Um, in the first shot of Rusty in Hollywood, this was interesting. The one where he's eating nachos and everything, he's looking up at something. The camera never shows you what he's looking at. Uh, he was actually facing a large mural of Frank Sinatra, who was Danny Ocean in the original Ocean's That's Eleven. cool. As kind of a callback. However, in trying to break free of the original Ocean's Eleven, Steven Soderbergh decided to keep from showing it. Hmm. So, that's nice. That's interesting. Um, let's see here. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's briefly seen in as one of Basher's crew. Oh, really? Yeah, in the robbery. In the- I, I noticed him this time. I was just like, <laughs> oh, there, there he is. Yeah. He doesn't have any lines, but he's there. In the scene where Tess is introduced, she's barefoot, actually, as she's walking down the stairs because it would have been too difficult to navigate a spiral staircase in high heels. If you look at the behind-the-scenes featurette that I saw uh, yesterday, it shows you uh, a, a more, like, zoomed-out look. And, yeah, she's barefoot she's going barefoot, down. Yeah. She's not wearing heels. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, she filmed all her scenes in two weeks. I think we had mentioned that. Um, George Clooney and the others would play pranks on Julia Roberts. Sometimes they left 5 a.m. wake-up calls for her when she didn't need to be on set until noon. <laughs> Funny, they did something similar to that in Ocean's 12 to the character of Danny Ocean. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this oh, that's is, just me. This is scientifically interesting. Um, this is a little bit long, but I'll, I'll go quickly. The pinch that Basher uses to knock out Las Vegas's power is based on a device called the Z-Pinch, where it creates a burst of energy by using a magnetic field that pinches a column of charged gas particles. However, the movie departs from science in several ways. First of all, a real Z-Pinch is way too big to fit in the back of a van. Second, a pinch can't create enough energy or can't create energy out of nowhere. It would need a power source that's bigger than what Basher's using. He's using a bunch of car batteries. Mm-hmm. And any uh, third thing is with such a power source, the EMP generated by the Z pinch would barely be powerful enough to knock out a, uh, an electronic device across the room. There's no way it knocks out an entire city. Interesting. Yeah. So it's all fiction. That stuff. Yeah. At the end of the movie. And this is interesting for financial nerds out there. Andy, you'll like this. Uh, Danny Ocean says to Rusty, 13 million and you drive this piece of junk. 
first of all, before I continue with the rest of this, anybody know exactly how much money was in that vault? If you know the answer, I will buy you your drink tonight. Wasn't no. it? It was 163 million, but yeah. I didn't keep track of. If you get it, if you get it down to the dollar, I will buy your drink tonight. I'll no. buy you two drinks, no I matter the cost. I don't have. I don't have it. I know. I didn't care enough. I just noticed okay. 163 million. I, I wrote it. I paused it when Frank shows it to Benedict. I was like, I want to know this number. Can I? Can I guess? I will, just, I will, for guess, guess just for fun. Guess just for fun. Just for fun. Go, Go for it. 163 million four hundred fifty-seven thousand two hundred ten dollars and sixty-three cents. Man, you got a couple digits right in there, but no, it was a. It ends in a one. No, it ends in a nine, actually. Dang it. $163,156,759. That was my guess. Yeah. <laughs> I love this movie so much that any like little tidbits like that, I just want to know. So I'm going to memorize that number. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so that's the amount that's in it. Uh, in the first meeting all the ele- uh, with all the 11, Ocean says that they will each get an equal share doing simple math. That means that Ruben, who was the bankroll, he had to finance this whole thing. Put up about twenty million dollars to pull off the job. Wow! I always thought it was way less than that, but no, he put up twenty mil. That's a lot. Okay, so that was one of my uh, vexing questions. I, I don't know if we talk about it now or come save circle it, back save it, to it. We'll get there soon enough. Yeah, yeah. we'll get. Okay. Um, funny enough, Casey Affleck, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, and George Clooney are all somewhat related to each other. So I read that. You too. saw that one yeah. too. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Casey Affleck is 10th Cousins with Brad Pitt and 10th Cousins with Matt Damon and 18th Cousins twice removed to George Clooney. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, There's a persistent rumor that Ben Affleck makes a cameo appearance. He was on set while they were filming, but he he never appears on screen. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the Bellagio let the crew tap into their security system in order to get real surveillance footage at the casino. Really? Yeah, that's pretty nice of them. Uh, just to add to that, yeah. they at certain points they closed down around thirty percent of the Bellagio in order to shoot wow. the the movie, and that that didn't really happen very often in Vegas. Usually, casinos wouldn't go for that. But I think one think of how the, much money they lost. Know, exactly. One of the producers was like buddies with the uh with, with jerry the, weintraub probably yeah, yeah. yeah. he's so, that guy he was a big name everybody yeah. loved him so mm-hmm. maybe they were just like okay we'll do it this one time for you but you better get all your shots in fast <laughs> yeah well and then you got to think about it how much after the fact people who would never stay at the bellagio like i want to stay there now that's true you know mm-hmm. it becomes kind of like a destination Me? yeah lucky you you've got to go i haven't gotten to go to the bellagio yet i will before i die i promise this yeah. yes i want to go to the bellagio please <laughs> yeah they said it was like a just a Two hours of, of free of like advertising for the strip and wow. for the Bellagio. So, yeah. wow! Oh my gosh! Uh, you guys might have heard this. The script was sent to Julia Roberts with a twenty dollar bill attached. Yep. Uh, included was a note from George Clooney that said, "I hear you're getting twenty a picture now." Yeah. <laughs> this was an, uh, a joke referencing Julia Roberts becoming the highest paid actress at twenty million dollars per movie. Steven Soderbergh wanted the actors to hang out on set to make sure they had good chemistry. Yes, During downtime, they would hang out together um, <clears throat> and would listen to Carl Reiner, the actor who plays Saul, and listen to his stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the cast did gamble off hours. <laughs> There's a disagreement about who won the most. Uh, George Clooney says that it was Matt Damon, and Matt Damon says it was Brad Pitt. But George Clooney managed to lose 25 hands of blackjack in a row. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's almost statistically impossible. Yeah. This is, I, this is what uh, Andy had mentioned earlier. Don Cheadle was uncredited despite having a major role. What happened? This was uh, due to a dispute over his billing. Don Cheadle wanted to be in the title billing alongside Clooney, Damon, and Pitt. Uh, this uh, request was refused. And so because they did that, he said, all right, then don't put me in the credits at all. And so he did not receive any credits. And I looked. I went into the credits. Never is his name mentioned in anywhere. That is so crazy. But he eventually got what he wanted. He got title billing in Oceans 12 and 13. Well, quick question. Maybe you guys know. Yeah. Why is it in the credits? It says also introducing Julia Roberts. If she's already a well-known and established actress. I think that was a joke. They're poking fun. Yeah. They love messing with Julia Roberts, man. That's so funny. I like that. Because in the sequel, when you look at the credits, and it says, and introducing Tess as Julia Roberts. Really? That's funny. (laughs) So they love messing with her like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, that was intentional. Um, I had a lot of them. Most of them you mentioned already. I can think in in the trailer, there's an additional line where... Um, Danny says, uh, how much do you guys make when he's being asked by the parole, uh, parole board? That's not in the movie. Yeah, they cut it from the movie for a specific reason. Because apparently they, they interviewed like actual parole board uh, members and they said nobody gets parole if they ask that question. Yeah. He would <laughs> have been denied. They would have been denied. It. So I was like, okay, they struck that from the, wow. the actual movie. That was smart. Um, the main cast lived uh, at the Bellagio during filming. They lived in 7,000 square foot, uh, like, villas. Which I'm so curious to see what they look like. Wow. And I don't know who's considered main cast. Because, I mean, all these guys were, like, super big. Or a lot of them were. But I can't imagine there's, you know, 12, 7,000 foot villas in the Bellagio. That's probably Clooney, Pitt, and Julia Roberts at that point. Even Bruiser got a villa. (laughs) (laughs) Bruiser. Um... (laughs) So I referenced it a little bit earlier, but that Clooney and Julie Roberts had never met before this movie, but now they're extremely close friends, yeah. and that's true for most of the cast. They became like legitimate good friends after this movie. They've done they've done a couple movies after the Ocean stuff. They did one called like Money Money something. Clooney and Roberts. Yeah. Oh, Money Money Monster. Money Monster. Yeah, and then they yeah. did uh, another one recently called yeah. Ticket to Paradise. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so, and then the only other one I think you alluded to it was Don Cheadle going to London to try to get his accent down. And so even though he did that, it was still very yeah. heavily criticized. Yeah, poor um, guy. So much so that they make jokes about it in <laughs> Ocean's 12. <laughs> you do the best you can. There's actors who are, you know, get a bad rap for their accents in different movies, you know. What mm-hmm. are you going to do? You do the yeah. best that you can. Yeah. 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 All right, Andy, we got to cast away. I'm going to let you take this. And if you miss hey, anything... What the heck? What? Yeah. I can't do any egg drops? Me no. neither. Or Aaron? What? You guys have more? Yes. I had one to share. All and right. I got And I got <laughs> this. My bad, my bad. Unbelievable. I'm getting too antsy. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, um, my, my egg drop actually has to deal with a bit of symbolism that you see early in the movie and that you then see a uh, manifestation of later on. And it happens at the poker table with uh, Rusty teaching the other movie stars. And Danny is there. And I don't know if you pick up on this, but it's almost, it's a lot of nonverbal communication where both of them are in on the same con because they're getting all these people's money when they're playing that hand. Because Danny is playing the hand 
and Rusty is baiting everyone else, trying to tell him, nah, he's bluffing, and now he's yeah. trying to buy his way out of his bluff. Yeah. And at the very end, who wins? They win. Yeah. Both of them do. And you see uh, a similar thing happen later on. Because the house always wins. In that case, they were the house. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I yeah. suppose. But the way I was seeing it is that you have these two guys that play things so close to the chest that they don't even have to say what they're thinking or what they're planning they just know they just know and then later on we have this uh, almost fabricated type tension between danny and rusty over the subject of tess which i know is genuine uh, at first because rusty didn't know tess was involved but after talking with danny there's again non-verbal communication that happens because they're playing things close to the chest and they don't tell Linus and the rest of the crew everything. They keep that to themselves because they know who wins, they're gonna win. It's for the benefit of everyone and of course it pays off in the end. So that that piece of dynamic there that we see just a taste of at the beginning, we see it play out in a much grander scale later on. Yeah, I agree. There's They know each other so well that they don't have to express things. And there's another example of it when they've got 10 members and they're at a bar and Rusty's just head down. And, yes, and that's Danny's right. like, mm-hmm. we've got 10, that's enough. And Rusty never answers in this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just Danny talking to himself and he's like, you think we need one more? You think we need one more. And they go get another one. Because, yeah, Rusty did think it. He never said it, but mm-hmm. Danny knew. They're almost telepathic. Yeah. They're, they're yeah, like okay, brothers. We'll get one more. They're yeah. like brothers. They I know each other very well. <laughs> nice. Aaron, you had um, something? Yeah, there was a couple for me. Um, the sn- Brad Pitt's character was always snacking. That was his idea to put that in. And mm-hmm. also, that. yeah, when uh, Tess is walking down the, the stairs, he's eating the shrimp, the shrimp cocktail. Yeah. They, had, they re- shot that scene so much that he ended up eating like 40 shrimp <laughs> like, can you imagine how sick he probably felt <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. he had to get so sick yeah um, <laughs> real quick this is unrelated to this specific movie but yeah i've heard other actors i think it was tom cruise that said it but that specific thing it's like when you film a scene where you have to be eating be very careful what food you choose because uh, a lot of times the actors will get the choice of what they want to be eating but you often have to film it so much that you'll by the end you'll end up hating whatever it is that you're eating mm-hmm. to the point where it disgusts you it makes you nauseous just to think about it and i think for tom cruise there was some movie where he had to eat cake and well and no he got to choose yeah and he's like oh well perfect i'm gonna eat cake yeah and they filmed it so much time that now he hates cake he can't eat it i remember him saying this him out it was in an interview right yeah Yeah. and it's like wow that's really interesting so you choose something that you won't hate uh that you don't eat what would you choose if if they tell you for the entirety of a movie you got to snack on this one thing and obviously you're gonna hate it so that i never have to eat it again essentially what do you choose if i can go in with that being the plan well, no, you got to think about it from the point of view that you can tolerate eating it for a whole exactly. day for 12 uh, or 14 exactly. hours. Yes, but you're going to end up hating it. But you're probably going to end up hating it. That's so it's going to be something right in the middle. Not something you love, not something that you hate. That's that's hard, man. That's hard. Uh, I, I have an answer. Go well, for what's it. yours? Plain Lay's potato chips. Hmm. Okay. I don't love them. I don't hate them. I could tolerate eating it for a whole day, and I wouldn't miss it in the future. That's a fantastic that's answer. A answer. That's a good answer, yeah. Let's go with that. I'll pick, or- just steal I'll, pick, my I'll, okay, I'll pick Oreos. I'll pick Oreos. 
Oreos. No, really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with never having. Oh, Oreos. you would never have Oreos I'd again, be, and I'd be fine with it. That's yeah. so weird. You know what? I'm not, a, not, I'm not, not a diehard. A, that's not a terrible answer. No, no. I'm not a diehard Oreo lover. Huh. I am. I am an Oreo, but I'm not a lover of Oreos. Don't call yourself an Oreo. Don't do I that. Am. Don't do that. I oh am. my god. Um, no, that was good. I was trying to think of like the type of vegetable that I'd be okay with, like oh, snap true. peas or something. So like, I can eat them. That's mm. fine. Carrots. But I'm carrots. okay. Carrots. carrots is good. Yeah. Yeah. Eat too many carrots, you turn orange. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. that would be a problem for filming. For filming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the next day. I think pretzels, like pretzel sticks or something. I think I could. Pretzel sticks, yeah. Okay, that's not bad. That's that's a good Okay, all right, that's good. Oh, that's so much chewing, though. Oh, and all that snapping. Your jaw, where you would be able to talk. (laughs) That's that's painful. Jello. All right. (laughs) Next one is uh, Castaway. Who almost got casted? Go for it, Andy. You got Uh, all these. If you miss one, I'll let you know. So I found, I I didn't look for all of them, but I found uh, a couple of them, and I thought they were really, really good. Um, so the role of Linus was meant for Mark Wahlberg, mm-hmm. and he turned it down to star in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Ooh, missed out on that. Yep. Okay, Ooh, I'm, I'm going to defend Mark Wahlberg. If he didn't have the career that he's already had, this would have been the point where you look back and you're just like, that's where you messed up, bro. But he's he's all right. He did all right for himself. Here, here's why I can defend that. In one, he's a bit player. In another, he is the star of a major okay. m- movie franchise, That's and true. it's a franchise. This has sequel potential. That's probably yeah. why he did it. That's a yeah. game changer. If yeah. there had been four Planet of the Ape movies That's that are all making point. hundreds of millions of dollars, and he's the star of it, yeah, I think you have to do it if yeah. you're him. Uh, Virgil and Turk were supposed to be played by Luke and Owen Wilson, but they dropped out to film the royal the royal Tenenbaum. That would have been so, that's one bro where honestly the movie's better, and I love Scott Kahn and I love Casey Affleck, but the movie's better with Owen and Luke Wilson. Just the fact that they're actually brothers in real life would mm-hmm. add so much to that's it. That's the kicker for me: the fact that they're actually brothers in real life. I almost think though that they would steal too many scenes. It would like been Owen better. Wilson. You know, I feel like he would steal scenes. Dude, it would have wow. been so wow. yeah. It would have been so good, man. I, it I, been so I think good. it would have been too much. Imagine, like that cast is already so stacked. And mm-hmm. then you add Owen and Luke Wilson in there mm-hmm. when they were at like in their prime at that time. Oh my gosh. I would have loved to have seen that. No disrespect to, to Khan of and, course, and, yeah. and, and Affleck. Yeah. Uh here's one where I think they really, really lucked out. Frank Catton was supposed to be played by Danny Glover, but he also passed to do the Royal Tenenbaums. Danny Glover is not funny like Bernie Mac. Mm-hmm. And Bernie Mac was funny in this movie, and he had to be funny. It's great. Um, I love Danny Bernie. Glover does not work in this movie. And I love Danny Glover, but that's one that they dodged a bullet, I yeah. think. He, he can be funny, but not organically. He's like, in, in like Lethal Weapon, he has funny lines, but I don't think of him as being funny. Right. Bernie Mac is hilarious. Exactly, yeah. I agree. And then the the other one, and probably the biggest one, even bigger than Wahlberg, who I think Wahlberg would have been okay in this movie, because I I, I like him, but Bruce Willis was originally cast as Danny Ocean, but he had to pull out due to scheduling conflicts. But in order to make it up, they put him in Ocean's 12. Well, thank goodness that he wasn't Danny Ocean, man. It's I'm not sorry, the same it's movie. not and the I same love, movie. I love Bruce Willis. It's not nearly the same movie. It's not even yeah. close to being as good. Because you have to think of his him and Brad Pitt. Working mm-hmm. together too. Yeah. yeah. 
it's not the same. Yeah, no, no. And the chemistry. I mean, there's just like a huge domino effect. It's a butterfly effect for the rest of you know all of Hollywood. Yeah. If this movie is made differently than how it is because of what ended up transpiring between that whole cast, that worked out. That worked out. Yeah. You got so anybody else? No, that's what I had. Okay, I got a few more for you guys. Alan Arkin was going to be Saul. Mm-hmm. That oh, works. Okay. That works. Yeah, I can I'm see good it. With that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had to drop out for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ewan McGregor was going to be Basher. I saw that. <laughs> or, he, or he was at least considered for Basher. That's interesting. I he wonder has, how that would have been. That would have been good. He, he, he would have nailed the accent. Well, yes, yeah. he, no, he's Scottish though. He doesn't. He's not British. Still, he doesn't do a, it's but a he, he probably get it closer. Yeah. Maybe only for that reason they would have just made him Scottish. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Uh, and then these uh, were cool. Guess who? Uh, there were three candidates for Terry Benedict. Andy Garcia ended up getting it, right? He's one of three. Guess who the other two were? How, I think, how I, think I read this. Oh, was one Michael Douglas? Yes. Yeah. Ooh, My, Michael nice. Douglas was one. The other was Ray Fiennes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'm glad it worked out because I like Andy Garcia. Yeah, me too. Um, but man, those other two... Th- would have been really <laughs> okay. good too. Right, fine. So he's so good as a gangster. I can't picture him like suited up and being a serious dude. He does the intimidating part really well. Yeah. Michael Douglas, I think, is a good alternative. Although I think Andy Garcia was like really excellent casting. Uh, Michael Douglas would have been a very, very good second choice. That would have been really hot, man. Um, recast this movie in a modern remake. Aaron, you want to start? This is tough. I don't have. You don't have to do full, all like eleven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't even do it this time, and I, and I could have, but I, yeah. I didn't want to. Yeah. I was like, let's keep it. Let's keep know. it to five. Or um, I think Christian Bale would have done good as Basher. He has the accent. I don't oh, okay, know. okay. All that's right. a good one. Didn't um, yeah, that's good. He's an outstanding actor. He um, would have done that good. Yeah. Um, I think Margot Robbie um, would have been a good if it was a remake. A, a good, good bruiser. Test. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a tie between Tess and Bruiser. But I'm I sorry, think, Danny. But it just turns out she's going to be in the new remake, so that was okay. a workout. Kismet? Yeah. Okay, alrighty. B? Um, yeah, I, I didn't... I, you didn't do this again. This is like the third time that you don't cast anybody. You, you know want to do it in the moment because that's that's the best way to no, do it. No, 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 no. You should have come prepared. You didn't okay. do your homework. No, no. You, I only did. A, I only did a couple. Okay, okay relax. Go. Chill. He's My, making these up on the spot. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. He, Andy, he's buying time. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> My my first um, role that came to mind was Saul, and I wanted the modern day remake to be Stellan Skarsgård. Okay. Who you may remember is uh dr eric selvig in the yeah. mcu yeah from thor yeah i think that he would be able to pull off the little bit of multiple also personalities in, also that you need Andor now oh is he yeah oh true, okay yeah. and he's my favorite character arguably really it. okay yeah. and i think it's because he can he can walk that line between being somewhat comedic he's and a then little young though isn't he to be saul Saul's like in his 70s, man. Borderline 80. But he can play the role is what I'm saying. Okay. And I think that he has that type of presence that Saul does. Why would I want to join this? I've got wall to wall and a goldfish. (laughs) This is your Pacino impression? No, that was (laughs) Delvin Skarsgård. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Why did you come here, Rusty? Did you come here to give me a physical? (laughs) That sounds more like Pacino. (laughs) I hear Pacino. No. Sorry. Uh, Pacino would be more like this. Oh, okay. That's Did good. you come down here to give me a physical? Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Why are you here? Very aggressive. 
And then my my pick for Danny was Idris Elba, with Tess being Halle Berry. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, no? Idris Elba is cool have, enough to I, be Danny. I have mixed has, feelings on that. He has the all the the swag and the confidence. I don't like Halle Berry in this movie uh, for that role. I feel like Idris Elba is too physically imposing. And I don't see Danny being that. Is he too tall? He's mm. too he's too tall and he's too big and he's too I could kill you. Yeah. Mm. And so when if you if you're gonna do that, you need to find somebody to play Benedict who's just as big. The rock. Uh. You can't have a smaller guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one time didn't I say the, the rock, rock should Oh, I said the rock should play Lex Luthor when we did the BVS one. Really? Yeah, you guys all hated it. Yeah, I still yeah. hate that. No, that I doesn't think, sound good at I all. Think it's, I like it. Anyway, um, okay. Uh, did you go? No. Go no, ahead. I haven't gone, but I've got the whole cast. So oh you, my god! You didn't go whole Do cast. I'll, I'll go last. I'll, I'll go quick. You don't okay. even have to talk about mine. Danny Bradley Cooper, and I looked up ages to make sure this would work. Rusty Jake Gyllenhaal. Linus, mm. this one was I uh, was on the fence about, but I think he could do it in certain scenes. Channing Tatum. Uh, Tess, Jessica Chastain, Benedict, Oscar Isaac. I really like um, Chastain and Isaac. Those yeah, are really those were good. Those the two that I liked. I, I hated the other two. But <laughs> three. Uh, you didn't like Bradley Cooper? He forgot one of Danny? them. I have Bradley Cooper in my list. Oh, and okay. Channing Tatum. Okay, so okay. here's mine. And I, w- I went deep on this one, guys. I didn't. <laughs> How deep did you go, man? <laughs> I didn't put too much thought into as far as ages and all that. And I did something different. I figured if we're doing a modern remake, it would be more diverse to cast. So there's more color in mine. And there's uh, more females in mine. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Even for roles that weren't conceived for women. I like it. Just to keep it simple, Gosling is Danny Ocean. Not, I don't. I'm not a huge Gosling fan, but just because they're already going to be uh, in the remake and Margot Robbie is Tess, right? Mm-hmm. This is where it gets different. Uh, as Linus, Ryan Reynolds, uh, Kevin Hart as Frank Catton, Bradley Cooper as Rusty, and Channing Tatum as Virgil. I really think they would do good pretending to be brothers. They're both funny, and I feel like the back and forth would be good. Okay, Virgil and who's who's Turk? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I didn't. I skipped on my list. Bradley Cooper's Rusty. Okay, so scrap that. Channing Tatum and Chris Evans as Turk. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think that w- I think that would work. That'd in, be fun. In my head, that worked. That'd be fun. Um, and so it gets kind of weird here. Denzel Washington as Reuben, and Morgan Freeman as Saul. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. I like Morgan Freeman Denzel as Reuben. I can totally see Denzel playing Ruben. I can't see Morgan Freeman as Saul. I'm the opposite. I can see Morgan playing Saul, but I can't see. And I had somebody else Denzel as Saul, and I deleted. I, I I scrapped it from my notes. I had somebody that wasn't Morgan Freeman. I said I don't know which one works better, but because Morgan Freeman was older, yeah, I thought okay, I'll just go with older. See, the thing about Saul the character is that he is an old school con man. That's why he can go from himself to becoming Lyman Zerga. Yeah. And so I don't see Morgan Freeman being able to make that transformation as cleanly. I see it. I do- can well, you give me an example? Maybe he's not playing Lyman Zerga, he's playing somebody else. Well, that's the thing, is that Morgan Freeman, in the roles I remember him in, plays a variation of himself. 
He played um he does the, a good the, job. The uh African president, what was his name? Oh. Uh, um Nelson Ma- Mandela. Mandela. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but that I mean And he did really good. That's that's the accent. So imagine him playing a character that has that accent. But he's done. But that's the thing is that he has to almost transform. Like we're talking not just the accent, but also like the uh the intonation of his voice and like his posture and how he handles himself and all this other stuff. He could do it. Okay, I so here- just don't see it. Man. I'm not doubting he can't. I just don't see it. And Man, at his current this, age. This this guy's got Morgan Freeman on the bench, Andy. Dude. Okay, here's another one just off the top of my head that might work better. He's retired from acting. Jack Nicholson. Let's not talk about it. Let's just move on. All right. <laughs> okay. And Did, here's... Oh, okay, go ahead. Tessa Thompson as Basher. Okay, I oh, like it. I like it. Yeah, Ben Stiller as Livingston Dell. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, this is this is uh, this is kind of racist. For Yen, I was trying to. I, I looked up. I thought I was going to cast that as a female, somebody tiny who would be believable as a grease man. Couldn't find anybody that I thought made sense. So I ended up with Jackie Chan as Yen. <laughs> Dang, dude. It's like I don't know. You need somebody tiny. So unless I'm putting Kevin Hart as Yen. No. It's like, it's tough. Yeah. But anyway. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, uh, Tom Cruise is Terry Benedict. He's too short. <laughs> Andy Garcia yeah, is not that tall. tall yeah, Andy yeah, yeah, but yeah. Alexa, how tall is Andy Garcia? Andy Garcia is five feet nine inches tall. Okay, so he's, he's, he's two and a half he's, inches taller. He's, he's two average. inches taller. Yeah. Hey, that makes a difference, though. I don't know, but Benedict looks more imposing. I don't think Tom Cruise... Uh, can look imposing next to those guys. So you better hope. Well, well, they're away from each other. I don't think they have any face-to-face scenes really, except for Danny you think with Danny. If yeah. Ryan Gosling is Danny Ocean, you're telling me Tom Cruise isn't imposing. Tom Cruise is imposing. Uh, uh-uh. compared to Ryan Gosling, uh, if they're in a scene together, Tom Cruise is no, dis- act, destroying. Acting-wise, act, yes. Acting-wise, yes. But in terms of physicality. Gosling's what? not going to be afraid of Cruz. Yeah, but George Clooney's four inches taller than Andy Garcia. What difference does it make? It's not a physical thing. Danny Ocean's bigger than Andy Garcia. Uh, well, and that is that is true. That is true. It's just that I feel like... Because the way the movie describes Terry Benedict is like, this guy's a machine. You know what I mean? Tom Cruise's machine. He would add in stunts. There'd be helicopter stunts. <laughs> and he loves he'd, he'd Tom Cruise a, so much. He'd he come loves in Mission on a Impossible. motorcycle. Tom Cruise is in most of Andy's favorite movies, so that's why he's... Well, he's you know at what? The end, at the end, Terry Benedict, when he says, you know, follow the van out to yeah. the, to McCarran Airport, yeah. it would be Tom Cruise running. on a motorcycle yeah, oh. chasing them, yeah. and the running. movie is, like, a lot better. <laughs> I, why don't you have Tom Cruise as the Grease Man? He's too tall. But he'd do the stunts. <laughs> there you That's go. That's true. He would do his own stunts. <laughs> All right. Moving on. So um, we had this uh, have someone say a line from this movie as a different actor or character. I think I just did at it. So let's just move yeah, on. Yeah, you did that. pretty good. I, I'm impressed with your with your Pacino Thanks, impression. man. Uh, hit it takes. All right. Here we go. Chili's most hated tech. So what, would, what piece of technology would Jacob Perez get most mad about there's only one right answer here. yeah go for it it's the trigger yeah yeah exactly. the detonator, the detonator. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the detonator he would be so he wouldn't even think to check the batteries he would just smash it yeah stupid detonator <laughs> doesn't work <laughs> well no his complaint would be that i just changed the batteries and it hasn't been used so why are the batteries <laughs> so the real answer is the batteries yeah, yeah. no nah, no nah. he'd, he'd look at the detonator and be like 
You know why this doesn't work, B? Because Great Jedi didn't make it. <laughs> Ease patience item. Oh my god. I put the vans. Oh, that's... Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> if it was Edgar, you'd call up Danny and ask if, if we could get some 95 GMC gladiators instead. <laughs> okay, I also put the vans that Frank Catton bought because Edgar would say, why buy the vans when we can just rent them? Yes. Like, we're not taking them with us. Like, yes. let's just rent them. Well, you're going to destroy them, man. So you're going to have to yeah, pay for it anyway. The insurance okay, will cover point. it. The, the pinch blew up that one van. Mm-hmm. And then the other one blew up too, didn't it? Yeah, yeah they, they, they both blew, they blew up. up yeah. the fake money. Yeah, yeah, you had to buy them. I would, I, my, no, the insurance will cover it. It's still cheaper than buying the van. My view of, of Edgar's or of E's patience with the vans is that uh, he would probably say, why in the heck are we buying them here? I can drive to Colorado real quick. <laughs> And I will find a better price. And at that it's point, Danny just cuts him loose. He's like, you know what? We don't need you. <laughs> go. That's just true. go. He was playing. He was paying inflated prices by doing it right exactly, then. Exactly. Exactly. That's Andy's vacay stay. This one's easy. The Bellagio Hotel. Yeah. yeah. The Bellagio Hotel. I said Ruben's Villa or I, his. That was oh, my second. Yeah. If it was available to because no, it's, it's private. It's, it's got a pool. It's probably freaky in it's there. It's fully furnished. Yeah. I bet you he's got some like weird stuff It's really stuff in eclectic there. in there. Yes. He could get no. a group rate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry, it took me a second. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, Stevens. Oh, moment. Uh, should I just answer this? Excuse yeah. me. Just, yes. Just it, it's, it's when the SWAT team walks out of the casino and then Rusty yes, lifts that's the thing. Yes. That's the point yeah. where I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> it's your losing it moment. Yeah, that's my losing it moment. K's scream out loud moment. I think I um I'm not doing a scream out loud. I'm doing a laugh out loud. Okay. What's gonna make K laugh out loud is when Batcher's about to set off the pinch and he's protecting his the jewels. Basically. Uh, did you know that Don Cheeto improvised? Yeah, that? it's improv. Yeah, <laughs> but I I think that that's a laugh out loud for K. Okay, I had a different one, but we'll let's no, I, I have one. Go and for it. I was encouraged last week uh, when we did the other <laughs> podcast for Count to just go for it. Just go so for I'm it. I'm going to go for it. I will edit this if it's really bad. <laughs> when Linus tells Benedict, apparently he's got a record longer yeah. than oh my. my. Well, it's long. <laughs> Caden is saying something in the movie theater or at home oh in front of God. anybody. Yeah! What you do don't you guys- not react to that line. What, what, what do you think, Gary? Keep it or, or cut that out? Keep it. Keep, keep it. <laughs> <laughs> you got a supporter right yes. here, man. I have one, um, the club scene at the beginning. Yes, or with when, the twirling and yes, everything. Yeah. That's what I have, <laughs> man. Also, the uh, yeah. they find what's the fake money. What it actually oh, is. Oh, 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 I have that. <laughs> the I flyers in, in, in the funny lines, man. <laughs> I, I had it. Uh, they say the bags were filled with flyers, sir. For hookers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny, dude. Oh, my gosh. All right. Next one is B's vexing issues. Okay. I'll, let me answer this first. Go for it. My my vexing issue is uh, if you guys think back to during the heist, okay, uh, Mr. Walsh, the hotel manager, is in the security. Love Mr. Walsh, by the way. Yeah, he did Solid good. guy. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That guy, he looks reliable. Like somebody, I'd want him to be my manager too. I, I Yeah, I agree. I agree. So he is next to Saul watching as the briefcase is getting uh, taken to the vault, correct? But then at the, I feel like in the same time period, he's with Benedict and Benedict asks him, 
to escort Frank Catton off the premises. When did he have time to do that? When does that happen? Do you guys remember? Think think back. It's after it's after the the convert. Okay, and then we'd, he lives. Have, we'd have to go back and watch that. I think you're onto something because uh, almost I want to say almost the very next scene or like very very close is when because they even see Linus on the monitors. And he's like, "Who's this guy? Hey, I got a yeah. bogey." And then Saul grips the the railing because he's passing out, and Walsh is right so, next to yeah, him. Yeah, Walsh really hightailed it back down there. I don't get it. And, it, and it looks like he never left. He's just like, "You see, Mister Zerga, there it is." And then he just he stays with them because he's not going to leave. Okay, Lyman Zerga unattended in that room. Here's my here's my question. I didn't pay attention to to that detail, but. There was more than one like manager that Terry talks to that we see. One is the floor manager, and then there's the other one who I think his name was Eddie because I had an issue with that scene uh, right before that part you're talking about. I think there's more than one. I don't know if it was the same guy. I don't. I don't remember that detail, but that is a good question. You know what? But it might have been the other manager. I will find this while you guys continue. Okay. I got one of my issues over here. Believe it or not, I actually had several, and that hurts me because this is my favorite movie. Um, Explain to me how Danny knew that they would hire Bruiser to beat him up, somebody with whom he already had a relationship with, clearly. I don't know how that... I mean, you don't have to try to explain it unless you can do it quickly. Okay? So... These guys don't use guns, meaning the 11, but nobody has even a backup weapon in case one of those guys, excuse me, one of those guys with the Uzis doesn't pass like out. Like a taser, gas. you know, something? Have oh, something, man. Yeah. Seriously, like literally your whole plan goes down the toilet if one of those guys is still standing with an Uzi. Yeah. Well, so that whole scene is flawed. One of my issues, and I didn't write this one down, but I noticed it because I wanted to talk less in this podcast. <laughs> They're very fortunate. They crack open the elevator yes. and then they throw the device to, you know, use the knockout gas. The guys are facing away from them talking to each other. If yes. they had been just standing looking at the elevator, like They're is done. their job, done. then they see it coming. They never get knocked out. They never get in the vault. They're and done. you yeah. could, because I was about to say, well, maybe because they got cameras, access to cameras, maybe they're being told, hey, it's okay for you to open the doors and do it. But that's later um refuted because they're trying to tell him to not do not blow the door and their ear, their earpiece isn't working yeah. so that doesn't work either what about trank guns just yeah them. anything man would have helped <laughs> yeah i have another vexing issue so tess finds rusty in the casino right this is right after benedict has asked her to step out of the room because it could get yep. nasty right clearly she knows him right yeah doesn't call security or anything. She's not pro-thief. She's pretty anti-Danny at this point. Why is she okay with this? Why does she not do anything? Okay, the better question is, there's 30,000 people in that hotel. How does she find him so quickly? <laughs> he's on his phone. <laughs> I don't know. But no. Maybe she, everybody else was She on knows slots. he's a friend of Danny, and she's not actually going to ever turn Danny into the police. She hates him, but she just doesn't want to be around him. It's not that she's going to turn him in. That's and, true. And we get an indication also that she still has feelings for him because the flashback of when he slipped her the phone like you see her reaction to his kiss mm-hmm. so there's still an attachment there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so courtesy to to rusty based on the relationship with i Danny. think so okay yeah. another one the swat team arrives while rusty is still on the phone in the casino i think that's more they're they're messing with the sequence of events really because you're listening to it and then he's just showing as thing because in seconds 
Benedict is like, I've complied with every one of your requests, correct? He's like, or yeah. would you say that? He's like, I would. So it's like, we're moving ahead in time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so they mess with the timeline there. Because yeah. I was yeah. going to say, Rusty is later shown to be one of the SWAT guys. Exactly. How is he still on the phone when the SWAT team arrives? Mm -mm, no, no, just the way he, it's just cut. Yeah. Yeah, there. I was like, he had to get into full uniform somehow. Where did he go? Well, and they show the phone there lying because Tess yeah. goes looking for him and... Uh, and Benedict is waiting for an answer at the end, and it's yeah. the, he's already left. So yeah. they, it's the way they, they, cut, they cut those okay. events yeah, together. Okay. I'll, yep. I'll take that. Uh, last one. So they leave everything behind, right? This is probably a simple one. They leave the computers, the equipment. Mm -hmm. Rusty's burner phone is there. They hide, had to hire somebody to get rid of some of that stuff right from the hotel. You're not just going to leave it there. It's got fingerprints unless they wiped it all down. I mean, they could still boot up those computers probably. Mm. I just feel like they they're contacting somebody and saying, "Hey, it's room six eighteen. Go in there and take everything." If Livingston Dell is as smart as he is, That's yeah. he didn't leave a trace digitally, at least mm -hmm. at least that part. And okay. you're right; they have people everywhere. They have friends everywhere. For all we know, Bruiser went up and just got rid of everything. The burner phone. This was two thousand one. They weren't going to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or they slip housekeeping like a thousand dollars. It's like just don't say nothing. And the biggest note is, it doesn't matter anyway. Benedict knows who did it. He yeah. doesn't need evidence to go find it. He's not yeah. going to the cops. Yeah. He's going he, so he, he, he's this, gonna go personal. This plan was really well thought out. Oh, yeah. Like, to a T. Precise. Do you think that he was thinking about all this stuff while he was in prison? Yes. Or did he think it up? No. When he got out? No. He was thinking yeah. about it That's too while much in prison. To come come okay. up with. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, just a quick question. Uh -huh. How much did Bruiser get paid, in your opinion? He told them a couple million. A couple million, right? Yeah. That's got to come out of Danny's cut, right? Oh, yeah. So Danny is one who made the least out of all this. So if his third... It's supposed to be 14 and a half million. I did the math, right? For mm -hmm. everybody. I don't know why uh, Danny says 13 later. Maybe well, taxes. I think, I think, I think <laughs> No, they're not paying Just taxes kidding. on taxes. <laughs> no. He gave Bruiser a million. I heard... I, I understood that he paid Bruiser a million. Uh, I heard a couple mil. I thought I heard a couple Somewhere. mil, but it could be wrong. So then it, let's say that it that it's uh, 13 million, right? For mm -hmm. whatever reason. Then he's down to 11 million for Danny, right? And I'm sure that he had to pay some other people along the way, and nobody else was going to be okay with that coming out of their cut. So he probably got the least out of the whole job. Kind of sucks, right? You're like the mastermind. You set all this up, and then you're the one getting paid the least. You can make okay. you can make the argument that he gained the most because he got test back. That's true. That's and it wasn't and, about the money. For and, him. It and was that's, about getting that's test technically back. not true. But if Bruiser costs several million, I'm changing my answer for Edgar's overpriced item. <laughs> There's no way what he did was worth more than a million. Heck, even a million is overpaying. Oh no way gosh. Edgar's doing that. Oh he didn't gosh. even know. You could get when somebody to, to beat you up for a lot less than. A couple million. But it, but it had, like, yeah. th that's one of those things. It had to be Bruiser. Because Danny had to be sure it was somebody who wasn't actually yeah. going to kill him. But I, mm. they, they didn't know that it was... Benedict didn't hire Bruiser. They hired some shady people that they often deal with. And Danny was able to control who actually went. Because they're all criminals. Yeah. Together. I mean... Yeah. I think E's patience... That was orchestrated. I think E's patience for Bruiser would be... All right, let me wait and see how you do the job, and then I'll see about well, paying you a million. Yeah. Because uh, that first punch is like, yeah, that's it. it, it I'm it, knocking it. off 20% for that. You messed up. Oh, my gosh. Well, I don't think that would go well for him. <laughs> okay, I've got a couple vexing issues, so I'm going to try to go through them quickly so we don't 
yeah, spend too much time on it. And yeah. then I'll confirm my vexing issue. Yeah, no more than two. Let's let's move quick. Okay, I've got to do more than two. Uh, Danny's on parole, and he's not allowed to leave the state. He goes from Atlantic City to L.A. to Vegas to Chicago to Vegas to California and back to Vegas. Damn. How on earth, and the whole thing takes weeks, how on earth is it that his parole officer never actually went and did a physical check-in on him in a period of a couple weeks when he's been to five or six states back and forth lazy parole officer yeah Yeah, i think so yeah Yeah. there's no way that's logical another Mm -hmm. one this is where i'm saying uh, ruben is the one that lost the most i assumed it cost a couple million one of you said earlier that it cost him like 20 million to bankroll this thing that's what was uh in the trivia section yeah okay so i i I don't know where they spent all that money because I actually tried to keep account of it. But he got fourteen and a half. He spent twenty. He lost money on this. All he got out of it was revenge. So why would he even bother? Maybe That's... revenge is sometimes sweeter than money. Okay. Mm. Another mm-hmm. one. If Ruben is bankrolling all this and he's a multimillionaire and he's willing to lose money, why on earth did Frank have to negotiate the price of the vans from eighteen thousand to sixteen thousand? Makes no sense. It's like, I why we gotta save six grand? We're on a budget now. Yeah, we overspend <laughs> some other stuff. That, I guess he's just trying to cut corners, or maybe Frank improvised that. Maybe they were okay with just go get the vans. It was just fun and, for him, and, and Frank it, was just a, like, you know what? It's a matter of principle. Yeah, it, I'm not overpaying for vans. Yeah, Are you kidding. It could have been Frank's initiative. I like that. Yeah. The more I think about it now, I wish it was him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Danny tells Bruiser not until later after being punched in the face, seconds after the guards exit the room. As we see later, they can hear when Bruiser's faking punches. They would have heard Danny say, yeah. not until later. I heard that too. He says, he says it loud enough. He says right? it yeah. super loud, and immediately mm-hmm. after they walk out, they, they would have heard there. that. That's, That's a mess up. That's funny. Okay. When Benedict meets Lyman Zerga, he talks to one of his managers and says, good morning. This scene is shortly after telling Tess he would meet her for dinner. Then we cut to the dinner table where Tess is waiting for Terry and Danny shows up. So I think the timeline got messed up there. Because mm. why would he say good morning unless they were eating breakfast at midnight? It just it doesn't make sense. Jet lag. Uh, and then the last one was why would Tess go back with Danny at the end of the movie? It doesn't make sense. He hasn't really done anything to win her over. He right. hasn't changed as a person. Mm-hmm. All he did was prove in the movie that Benedict didn't really love her because yeah. he was willing to trade her for money. But mm-hmm. the same reason she was upset with him or, or you know, didn't want to be with him, they remain. Exactly. He's so, still a liar. He's still a thief. No, he has re- not changed. He the only re- lied about being a thief. He doesn't re- do that anymore. Oh what? Steal? No, lie. Right. The realistic She's outcome here... She's with somebody here, now that doesn't have to make that differentiation. <laughs> Sorry. The, real, the realistic outcome here is that she's with neither at the end of the movie. Yeah. Her ending up with Danny again. Like, oh, how romantic. He proved that Benedict doesn't love me. Like, how on earth does that mean that she goes back with him? Like, that's not logical. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 I see it. If I we can it. ever get Steven Soderbergh on this podcast... We will ask him, Andy. It's because okay. those were all my vexing issues. It's because this was a, we needed a satisfying conclusion on every thread. I'm happy about it. I'm happy yeah. they're together. It yeah. just doesn't make any sense. They just made it. Okay, yeah. so to to just revisit my vexing issue, I went back right now and I did in fact confirm that Mr. Walsh is the one who has to escort Frank Catton off the premises. He's standing outside in the hallway when those three characters walk out. And he says, escort him. I never want you to step foot in my casino again. He is there, and it's him. And it is Walsh, who is next to Saul, in the security room. And it definitely never shows him leaving or anything. It implies that he's there the entire time. You know what the answer is? What? There's two Walshes. Oh, my God. Okay. Two Walshes? (laughs) 
Okay, so that brings up a point that I've had. The real MVPs of this movie are Virgil and Turk because they do absolutely everything. Oh yep. my god. They drive, the amount of, they the drive amount of all the truck changes, man. These they're guys the, they're security, they're delivering balloons, yes. they're the EMTs, they are everywhere all the time and they yeah. move quick. Yes. So yeah. there is some movie magic there as far as the time lapses between stuff. They so took that's the how mo- they get away with it. They the took the ball. most showers for sure out of everybody <laughs> there. Those guys were sweating at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. All oh, right, guys, man. let's move on to the next uh, category here, which is uh, Jay's chef's kiss character. Let's save some time. I asked her. She said it's Brad Quit- uh, Brad Pitt, no question. Really? Yeah. yeah. I would have said Clooney, uh, the, the silver would, fox. I would have guessed Pitt. Yeah. I she put Brad Pitt. Pitt. Yeah. yeah. Iris's I hate kids moment. There's no kids in the movie, so. Uh, she might have hated uh, Virgil and Turk. No. They were kind of annoying. <laughs> my, they're, my, they're childlike, I guess. My guess is whenever Bruiser's like, pregnant again she would empathize with oh it's like yeah no one likes to be pregnant all right nieces that's not funny honey moment i had uh when the the uh tv stars at the beginning of the movie lose a bunch of money at, at the poker table due to rusty's bad advice or trying to sabotage them they all lose several grand in that yeah and and that's not funny that's not funny <laughs> i can see that i like it Sally's called it moment. I'm not sure about this one. I don't know if you guys had something, but there's no way that she calls the 11 being the SWAT team. I don't buy that anybody would have guessed that, especially on the first watch back in 2001. Yeah, that's tough. That's really tough to have guessed. I had a different what she would have called. When Danny gives Tessa kiss goodbye, I say that she would have called that she ends up with Danny by the end of the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, I think everybody would have guessed that. I see that. I think I, I would have I, guessed that. I don't think so. At I, that point, he hadn't really done any like large romantic gesture to win her over. Uh, but movies back in the day, they liked happier endings. I don't see, I don't see a scenario where he didn't end up with her. My my uh, my Sally's called it moment is whenever Rusty says, "All right, Danny, you're out," and everyone's like, "He's out," and all this other stuff. Because the movie wants you to believe that he's out. That's it. And she calls it and says, no, he's not out. That's he's, the one. He's still involved somehow. That's the one. Yeah. All right. Uh, last one. Miji's style trial. Who's the best dressed person in this movie? Aaron. Ruben. Oh, he stole my answer. <laughs> he stole my answer. Uh, I, I That's what I was for the say. days when I can dress like Ruben all day long, <laughs> man. Dude. A matching robe and shorts. Oh, it'd be awesome. With those gold chains. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, the I, star of David. I need the hair on the chest, yes. though. I need yeah. a, you know, even if it's fake, just, you know, glue that thing on. And... <laughs> is there fake chest hair you can buy? I'm sure Steven there is. Steven will find it. Yeah. <laughs> you can find anything these days. <laughs> That's weird. It's I, definitely not Pitt in this movie. It, I, I, his style sucks, man. Okay. I liked it more in the sequel. <laughs> so my answer was Danny and Rusty when they're wearing suits at Ruben's house, eating lunch and pitching him the plan to rob the Bellagio. The suits aren't modern like today, so the suits would look nicer today. But for the era, the combo of suit and sunglasses, and of course it doesn't hurt to look like George Clooney and Brad Pitt, that would be Miriam's pick. <laughs> they actually look good for the era uh, in that scene. Hmm. The suit wasn't gaudy, in my opinion. This is when they're they're pitching it to Ruben, right? Yeah, there's when By they the pool. go eat lunch with Ruben. Yeah, yeah. Before they even tell him who they're gonna hit. I like that. I know that this is out of place, but this is what I wanted to share with you guys that I had never noticed this before because it happens so so quick. Hmm. When uh, when Matt Damon's pretending to be the NGC guy with uh, Frank in the room and, and Benedict, 
uh, he makes the racial comment so that Bernie Mac will get up and attack him, right? Mm-hmm. That part is set up. And that's so that he can get run across and Benedict pocket. and pickpocket the elevator card that he needs. Mm-hmm. Immediately after he does so, the camera cuts to Damon for like half a second. Yeah. Where he nods to Bernie Mac yes. to let him know, I got it. He got it. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can stop. Yeah. In all my years watching this movie, I had never noticed that because it was so quick. Mm-hmm. But that was him letting know Frank that he got it. Yeah. And in case the audience missed it, like I bet you 90% of people did when they until they slowed it down or rewatched it, they have Rusty confirmed that he's got it a mm-hmm. few seconds later. Mm-hmm. See, I missed a head nod. I yes. had never really... It's caught so the, good, the though, dude, man. When you catch it, you're yeah. just like, yes! Like, I dude, yeah. I didn't think he was stealing the elevator card. I thought he was stealing the codes that change that is, only he has. It is the codes that change. It's the codes? It's that little tiny envelope. Yeah. And I don't know if you caught I thought Because he goes to the elevator, though. I thought you needed the the card to be able to enter to go down. I think they already have that at that. Yeah, point. no, it's it's security codes. But the thing is, is that uh, I don't know if you also caught this, but when Matt Damon is talking to him on the casino floor, Benedict takes out that little envelope from the portfolio and he's gonna put it in his coat pocket and he's staring at Damon the whole time because he doesn't trust him. Mm. And then he slowly puts it in, but obviously Damon he's an expert and he's seeing it out his peripheral, so he knows where it is. And so that again tells you what's his what's his target whenever he has to pickpocket him. Gotcha. Okay, um, we've reached the end, guys. This is uh, time for last takes. We can briefly discuss the sequels, or if there were no sequels, present ideas for them. Um, clearly, there were two sequels to this movie. Three, technic. Well, we can say three. Uh, yeah. I don't like yeah. to count that last one. No, it's three. Yeah. It's three sequels yeah. and. They, they're all uh, good in their own way. You know what I mean. Ocean's eight. Okay, let's not talk too much about Ocean's eight. But yeah, yeah. but Ocean's twelve and thirteen, the just Soderbergh briefly, ones. Just briefly. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say that they're because I hope that we can do twelve in the future. They're, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's that's good. I, I'm just gonna say that they're good in their own way. All right. Um, yeah. They they made some stylistic choices for twelve. Thirteen was kind of like. A return to form. Uh, a return to form, exactly. Not too much story. It's just let's set up the heist and let's execute it. And so they're both enjoyable. I, yeah. I enjoy watching them. Same. But uh, the reason why I called Eleven the lightning in a bottle is because you, you cannot replicate what happened here. It, it really is just so special because you're getting the introduction and also you're getting the, the friendships that develop. All in one movie. Yeah. And I honestly think that this movie was made with no sequel in mind. I think that's why Carl Reiner's the last one they mentioned, right? At the Bellagio Fountain. Yeah. Because you have like this emotion and this look on his face that's like, you know, I, I got my last heist in. Yeah. And it was perfect. And I think that that was just that nice sentimentality to bookend the, the movie because they weren't expecting sequels for it. See, I kind of I kind of disagree. I like what you're saying, but I don't know that that was I think they wanted to keep the door open by the fact that Benedict's guys are chasing them at the end. Mm, good so point. They wanted to be like, okay, there could be a follow-up to this. Yes. It doesn't it doesn't have to happen. You yes. can just imagine in your head, oh, they did some crazy maneuvers and escaped them and were never seen again. Mm-hmm. But um the little thing about that, about Saul being the last one, that was intentional. Soderbergh said, I want Rusty to be the first one to leave, 
and I want Saul to be the last one to leave. Everybody else go up there and like you said, stand and you guys leave in an, in whatever order feels natural to you guys. Mm-hmm. And it ended up that right before Saul, it was Matt Damon, Matt Damon. which was kind of nice. People were saying the rookie, yes. the youngest one, yes. and then the oldest one yeah. were the last two to leave. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, sequels, uh, I, like you said, I appreciate them. I, I do like them. Um, I enjoy watching them. I enjoy 12 and 13. I think 12 is more fun than 13. 13 is a better movie. And Ocean's 8 is merely fine. Ultimately a little disappointing. Yeah. I'm I'm just happy that the cast stayed together. You know, sometimes they mm-hmm. yeah, have yeah. to Good point. replace some mm-hmm. key pieces right. that makes the movie not I like that. quite I the agree same. With that. 100%. They all stuck together. And it, In fact, the teaser trailer it kind of let, lets the audience be like happy about that. The yeah. teaser says, they're back. Yes, they're all back. And then it lists all the names. <laughs> and, and I think, I don't know this for a fact, I think that's probably a credit to the fact that they all got along in real yeah. life. Yes. Because, you know, there has to have been, with such a large cast, there has to have been some conflicts in it. Right. I would, I would venture to guess that they made it work because they wanted to be part of it because they wanted to work with uh, yeah. each other again. Yeah. And I'm going to go so far as to say a spiritual sequel is Logan Lucky. Yeah. Oh. In a way, yeah. And also it's probably, by Soderbergh, yeah. And it may be like what I enjoy more than the other Oceans movies. Yeah. But that's just me personally. I love that movie. Yeah. What's that word that Adam Driver says that was like a code word? Cauliflower. <laughs> but, dude, I'll never forget how hard Andy was laughing when he heard that. Because he says with that, that twang, like, cauliflower. Did yeah, you just when say Andy, cauliflower like, like, you to me? You haven't seen said that in a long time. And everything. <laughs> Andy was rolling in the theater. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, final scores for the movie. What do you give it, Aaron? Oh, man. 9.2. All in all, it was a very solid movie. I loved it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Andy? So, my final score, strong B or B-plus movie. Okay. Cool. Bri? Yeah. I'm, I'm, to do it in the style of Aaron, I would give it an 8.8. 8.8? Yes. Okay. Because it's, it is entertaining. It is infinitely rewatchable. It has its issues, but you can easily overlook them and overall truly enjoy this film and recommend it to pretty much anybody. You and I are very much film critics. What you said is probably more accurate, but I love this movie too I know, much. It's okay, so I'm man. gonna I'm gonna overdo it. I'm gonna be unreasonable here. Do it and give it a nine point five. Well, it is it, your favorite movie of all yeah, time, so yeah. I, I have to. I have to. It does lose a little bit for the vexing issues that I had, but I've rated it this high because it's so incredibly entertaining from start to finish. Has one of the greatest casts ever at a great point in most of their careers. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of this podcast, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This one is definitely a longer one. So if you stuck around, uh, let me know. And maybe, just maybe, Brian will get you a a gift card to some nice restaurant or something. Just, yeah, no. Uh, Leave leave it at maybe. Uh, Because that's that's probably... Maybe is the the key word here. Right, Andy? As in maybe never. That's not, yeah, that's not happening. Thank you to Aaron for being our guest today. Yeah, thanks for joining us, bro. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a blast. I really enjoyed discussing this movie, and I love listening to you guys. So being a part of it was truly a blast. So, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. And also, like, we want to give a shout out to um, our our devoted fans and followers, and everyone who listens to us, and everyone who follows the uh, the Instagram page and all the all the channels. We really appreciate the. 
um, the interactions. The, yes, thank you. The uh, the comments. Keep keep that feedback coming. You know, we're we're still developing, and we're we're always welcome to suggestions and things that you guys like and that you want to hear in the future. So, um, yeah, we want to hear from you. All right, guys, we'll see you on the next one. Uh, like all these movies, I hope that you enjoy them, and um, the next one's going to be a good one too. We'll see you then. And 